0: Audio Conversation with Robert Stanley, recorded June seventeenth, two 2012. Just so you know, I was really excited to do this interview with Robert. I have not read any of his books, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say that, but uh, I was very eager to interview him, less about the content of his books and more about... Uh, his life experience, and how that plays into the research he's doing right now. He has written two books, both of them about the UFO phenomena. The first book is entitled Close Encounters on Capitol Hill. The second book is titled Covert Encounters in Washington, D.C. He wrote those, I think, about five or six years apart. They are thick fat books. Collectively, they, they total up to about 800 pages. And after all that hard work, he comes to the conclusion that there is something very negative going on in Washington, D.C. Uh, there are UFOs involved. There are potentially dark demonic forces involved. and And I, and I think he comes to this conclusion very grudgingly and robert also has a uh, radio series that he does once a week called the unicus radio hour and i am going to point you to one of his shows where he did an interview with a researcher named james horack i thought that was quite beautiful that show uh, we talk about it briefly during the interview that show uh, that one show will be linked to the show notes and i encourage folks to listen to that cuz it gives a a strong picture of who robert is And that question of who Robert is is something that I uh, was trying to um, dig at a little bit during this audio interview. Uh, I did not want to get bogged down in the the debates of whether a photograph is real or not, He is sharing a lot of photographs as part of his uh, online magazine, which is called Unicus, as well as these two books. Uh, The photographs are very interesting. I cannot vouch for them personally. What I can say is that the stories surrounding the photographs, including, I'll say, Robert's entire life leading up to those photographs, is something that I find absolutely fascinating. Now, we talk about this also during the interview. Robert would, I guess he would, uh, you could call him a UFO abductee. Uh, as we get into the conversation, that term is almost too shallow because there is something more intense going on. Uh, very spiritual, very mystical experiences have followed him his entire life, and I find that to be very important in the way I review those photographs. If those photographs were just handed to me without any backstory, I wouldn't quite know what to make of them. But given the uh, the events leading up to these photographs, including the lives of the photographer and, and Robert's own life experiences, I, I am forced to not conclude that they are authentic. Let me, let me just say I am forced to pay very, very close attention. And uh, having listened to so many of his audio interviews... Uh, I talk about that right at the very beginning of the of the uh, conversation. I uh, I got to say I really like the guy. I really like his approach. Uh he's bold in the sense that he really goes for it. He does he's not content with just little dots in the sky as far as his research and his tone. He will f- say things just forthright and not beat around the bush. And at the same time, he is uh, very open-minded, and his skills at uh, speculation uh, I-, I thought were really great. He's got a great radio voice, which, which also helps a lot for the interview, uh, unlike my own uh, mumbling uh, chatter here. Hey, one thing that happened uh, early on in the interview, you'll hear me say it, um, I almost passed out at my desk. I literally had to grip the desk and sort of fight to keep from passing out. I have no idea what happened. This is something that simply does not happen to me very often. And I'm not sure what to make of it. I had a good breakfast. I was drinking coffee, which is normal for me. So nothing in my daily routine had changed. Uh, It felt like... um you know, all of a sudden, you know, my vision was turning black and my peripheral vision was, uh, was shrinking away and I was looking forward through a tiny little uh, sort of a black hole. You can hear me say it, you know, like, whoa, 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 I feel like I'm going to pass out and uh, you could hear the concern in, in Robert's voice, but uh, I took a couple deep breaths and whatever, I, I obviously didn't pass out, but, but I got to say that, that that sensation is pretty darn unnerving. Okay at the very end of the audio interview I will chime in just before we say goodbye and uh I'll I'll point out a few a little details uh we were just about to hang up and I wanted to ask a couple little personal questions uh that's all snipped out but there is a little bit of extra dangling at the end that that I thought you know I thought we really um we got really deep about the role our role here and what it means uh and uh and that was that was really important for me because that is actually what i struggle with i repeat over and over again uh that these audio podcasts are in fact therapy for me that is not an exaggeration i say as much during the interview i say it all the time and we uh we we dig deep enough that that, that there's a uh oh, almost a resolution to that therapy near the end uh i respect robert greatly I had a delightful, powerful, and positive experience uh, talking to him for almost two and a half hours, and uh, and I feel that Robert's uh, strong, clear voice will speak for himself. Please enjoy. Hey, Robert, I want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me.
1: My pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I, I actually am have not read your books you have two books out um Mm -hmm. and i'll ask you a little bit about those but um the content of the books seems to be um focused entirely on washington dc um you're from california and how did you get uh started on the research in washington
1: yeah well it was the spring of 2005 i received an email from my friend daryl sims and um he's a private investigator who had spent some time working for the military. And anyway, he forwarded me an email that he received from a a professional photographer in Washington, D.C., and um, with, you know, some pretty extraordinary photographs showing UFOs swarming over and even landing on Capitol Hill in 2002, July. So I thought this was kind of odd that I hadn't heard anything about that event. Uh, I mean, there's, there's almost three years in between when it was the photographs were taken and when I actually got wind of it. Um, and Daryl was actually, what he was asking me was, you know, does this look real? Well, in this era of Photoshop, and he, it's pretty amazing what people can fake. So uh, fortunately, Daryl had included the contact information for the photographer And uh, he and I spoke on the phone, we exchanged emails, and six years later and two books into this, uh, I'm still running the investigation. And uh, with the help of Mr. Allen, because he lives in Washington, um, D.C., he's still getting photographs of odd things that we can't explain. Some of them clearly are UFOs. Uh, One instance in particular, uh, it, it looks like a morphing entity that's just flying over the city. I believe that actually was an alien, not a UFO. This may sound very weird to some people, but um, so here's the thing: it, it started very innocently. I wrote an article, I got the f- the pictures published uh, internationally in Nexus Magazine and on my website at unicusmagazine.com. and uh, I was shortly after that I was visited by a military black helicopter at my home in Los Angeles.
0: Y- yes, this is this is the content of this shows up in your first book of the two books.
1: It does, and well, it's also it's also in the for people who go to unicusmagazine.com, dot com, click on books and look at the uh, the free photographs. The link there it's 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 an amazing archive of um, images pertaining to UFOs in Washington D. C. But it also has a couple images of uh, the military helicopters that visited my home when I was living in Los Angeles, where I grew up. Uh, I've been in living in southern New England since two thousand eight with my family, and uh, I'm very gl- grateful not to be living in L. A. right now, actually.
0: Yeah, understandably I live in a very small town and and uh, there's something wonderful about that. Um yeah. Uh so here let me just I the the uh Wilbur Allen, the photographer. Mm. Yeah. He has his own set of uh contact experiences starting in his youth, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, and he comes from a very respectable military family. Uh he had worked at uh for ABC News as a um a technical engineer. Photographer, uh, prior to the taking those pictures uh, at the Capitol, so you got to understand he he is not only a credible person, but the the he was actually using film that night, in which like you know what we talked about earlier, it's authentic, and that's important because in the day and age of Photoshop, everybody's you know, that was their default uh, explanation for these pictures. They had to have been photoshopped, and they weren't. Uh, Mister Allen, oddly enough, uh, as I got to know him. Uh, and reporting on him personally, uh he does have an interesting backstory in that when he was I think um uh I five, six, something like that, very young, he was living on the base with his family, his mother, father, and his brother, uh when he was had his first encounter with the little gray aliens. Um so that that <laughs> That really was a problem for him because at some point as a child he made the mistake of mentioning it to uh one of his teachers. Now, as I told you, he was um his father was in the military so Mr. Allen was in a military academy um because, you know, that's you, you know, his dad being in the military. Um and this caused a lot of problems, so um they they there was repercussions. It was a negative experience for him once he started mentioning it, he learned to never mention it again because he was um, punished, essentially, for doing so. Um, and the second time it happened, he was, uh, I'm, I think he was a little older, but not much. And, uh, I mean, in other words, he was still a young, ch- uh, young man, child, teenager, whatever. Um, and that was in New Jersey. So, uh, and again, he says it was a gray alien that came into the bedroom at night. And um, uh, I guess they abducted him and returned him. So um, at some point in his life as he got older, he he wasn't actually interested in this. He didn't report on it, Um, and he was a very professional uh, person. But he was actually hoping and praying to God at some point he could prove to everyone that he actually had had contact with extraterrestrials because he knew nobody would believe him. And as I report in the second book, what's what's really weird is prior to Mr. Allen taking these pictures in 2002 at the Capitol – his, his um, very close friend, we're just going to call him Gordy, was also a high-level technical engineer for ABC who was working at the Capitol building. I believe it was 1999. Uh, and Gordy had a um, – what they, t- they classified it as a, a nervous breakdown. But what Gordy said was he saw aliens appear around John Glenn in the Senate. As he was down, Gordy was there running the cameras and the equipment for a uh, a special event that that um, John Glenn was was there for. Senator Glenn was there, and um, he was giving a speech. And and he, you know, Gordy doesn't. We we have not been able to. I have not been able to speak to him. He kind of went into hiding after this happened because um, <clears throat> they escorted him out. He started acting very weird because he he could. <sighs> It, it, it shattered his psyche. When he saw these things appear around Mr. Glenn, um, he could, first of all couldn't understand why everybody else wasn't seeing this and reacting to it. And so he started to – well, like I said, people thought he was having a nervous breakdown, so the Capitol Police issued him out of the building and um, took him to a, um, uh, a hospital where he was quarantined for about a month and the psychiatric ward. And you got to understand, um, that, that that sounds pretty, you know, for most people, uh, if you take it out of context, they just go, well, he, he had too much stress. The guy had too many responsibilities um, running a crew of 30, 40 people, you know, and being on call 24 hours a day. Uh, t- tough stuff. And at some point, he just cracked. Um, not according to Mr. Allen. Uh, he said that Gordy had no history of ever talking about UFOs or aliens. Didn't didn't seem to be interested in them all. This just, just completely came out of left field. And the fact that it happened at the Capitol makes a perfect sense to me now, six years later, um, because it has a history. It has a deep, rich history, over 100 years of uh, UFO activity around the Capitol and even um, things that cannot be explained happening inside the Capitol building.
0: Now, the... I'm just so Wilbur Allen has a history of of uh, contact experiences, and the yep. person who turned you on to this entire story, Daryl Sims, uh, yep. is also uh, very outspoken about his own set of uh, abduction experiences as well as his work as a abduction researcher.
1: Right. Yes, and and I actually interviewed Daryl at length, Um, and so he is also in my first book. So I. The the first half of the first book is my interviews with people who've had first-hand contact starting with Mr. Allen. And the second half of that book is a um a timeline a compendium of of over 200 report eyewitness accounts of UFO activity in Washington DC. I thought that was a lot actually. I I'd, I'd heard of maybe, you know, handful of events that have happened in Washington DC that have been widely publicized, but when I had over 200, I thought, "Oh man, this is this is just how can this be going on?" And so I published the first book in December 2006. It was fairly well received, but uh, I still hadn't done enough homework, and I kind of knew that. uh, But I wanted to get the first book out there and start the ball rolling. As I did that, uh, a lot of more uh, people contacted me, and they had photographs and their own stories to tell. And so anyway, when the second book came out last year, 2011, yep, uh, it has over 900 eyewitness accounts of UFO activity in Washington, D.C. from 1850 to 2011. Nobody, Mike, has done this. Nobody had ever documented. Now, it, granted, it's in the public record. Ninety percent of everything in that book, is it, it was available to the public, but it was scattered in all directions. I mean, it was just all over the place. So I basically took it upon myself to find this information and put it into a proper timeline, and... I think anybody, even if you're skeptical, when you read the true hidden history of our nation's capital, you'd just be blown away. I mean, I was. I still am. Six years after the fact, I'm still blown away that, that whoever's doing this, and I think it's good, bad, both good and bad, aliens are there. Um, it's amazing that nobody's ever touched on this before or exposed this.
0: Um, In our initial correspondence back and forth through email, one of the questions I asked was, um, uh, and I asked it for my own personal reasons because it's, you know, it it touches on my own life, is were (laughs) you in any way, um, uh, did you feel compelled to do this work on on, uh, Washington, D.C., or or did it feel like obsessive in any way?
1: Um, Yes, absolutely. Uh, You know, Here's the thing. At some point, I was – a couple times, I got really frustrated with the process because I felt that people were being um, – um, I mean, I understand. It's good to be skeptical, but at some point, I felt like people just weren't paying attention to something that's extremely important incredibly relevant, and the implications are enormous. I mean, it's not just me. It's it's all of us. The fact that anybody could be infiltrating our nation's capital – I mean, they were, they're not there to sightsee, okay? They clearly have an agenda, both good and bad. Uh, so I was getting a little frustrated that people weren't paying attention to it. And a couple times I've, I have literally walked away from this investigation put my, threw my hands up and said, forget it. Each time I did that, I felt, um, guilty in the sense that, um, apparently if I don't do this, nobody else will. There's no one else out there that wants to take on this story. And personally, I didn't even want to take it on. I had, in fact, if I'd known Early on, what I was getting into, I think I would have just said, no, nah, I'll pass. I don't really need that kind of stress in my life. I mean, for what? What's the, what's the benefit to me? Um, but the more I thought about it, Mike, I realized that, this, like I said, this is affecting everybody. Everybody has to, um, is, you know, to some extent, is affected by what goes on in Washington, D.C. So the fact that this is, it has been completely infiltrated, uninvaded, Infiltrated, there's a difference, and I use that word specifically because they have covertly infiltrated our nation's capital. And, and that's, I know that's not a popular message to, for anybody to be bringing, but um, it's the truth. And, um, you know, so like I said, unfortunately, nobody else wants to do it. And um, I felt like, you know what, when I cross over to the other side, and I have to take account for what I've, how I've lived my life, if I say, well, you know what, it was just it was too much of a hassle or uh, inconvenience or, you know, it's just irritating me, uh, that's, that's, those are not good explanations. I mean, those are excuses, essentially, uh, for not finishing the job. I, I started something, and hopefully I'm going to be able to finish it in, in my lifetime.
0: Now, this is fascinating. This is so interesting. Here, just, just an aside, are you familiar with William Henry? He wrote a book called Freedom's Gate –
1: you know, um people have asked me about him. I believe he's a mythologist.
0: He's an he calls himself an investigative mythologist. Yes.
1: Yeah, okay. So, yes, I've read some of his work, but I can't you you're going to have to be specific if you want me to re, re any, have any kind of recall on it.
0: Oh, it's a book I, I I don't know exactly when it came out, probably 3 years ago. And mm-hmm. um he has been publishing a lot of books. He cranks them out. Uh but he wrote a book um basically where he he says that through almost alchemical actions, that the nation's capital, you know, is a stargate, and there the uh, the the actual painting on the on the on the okay. uh, interior right. of the dome is called the apotheosis of Washington. Yes, yes, yes,
1: yes, yes, yes. I remember now. I thank you for bringing that up. Okay. Yes, he's he's correct, um, up until a point. Um, it's it's not some etheric stargate. We actually, one of the pictures that Mr. Allen took, the final picture, he took that night on July 16, 2002, around 1 o'clock in the morning, uh, just adjacent to the Capitol, what's called Lower Senate Park. It was a three-and-a-half-minute exposure. It's very unusual. He actually was, um, at that point, he thought he was doing an artistic shot because he does have a, a massive portfolio of, of stock photographs as well as very artistic things. So he was shooting something called the Carpenters Union Building. And um, basically, for the architecture, and what he got was a picture of four UFOs moving in unison across the sky in a jump fashion, meaning that they they were stationary, they moved, and then they jumped again. And when the the third jump actually actually went into a stargate. And we didn't even know what we were looking at it first, Mike. Honestly, it took us uh, quite a while. I mean, many hours between the two of us ex- examining this photograph carefully. Um, I mean, and a- analyzing the information that's in there. And finally, we realized they created a stargate, and it was all captured on film. It's a it's a giant fractal of energy that they somehow warped space in in that region, right, just adjacent to the Capitol that night, and uh, popped out of there. And and about six months later, I found a second one. A single craft had also moved into a Stargate um, just uh, behind, well, okay, so the imagine this. You're the photographer. You're looking at the Capitol behind the dome I, at, at an undetermined distance. You, we actually have, a, and it's really small. If it wasn't computer-aided analysis, we couldn't even see this. But um, I think I have a link up on my, yes, I do, on the photograph's the free photographs of uh, uh, photographic images of UFOs in Washington D.C. There's actually a link to an animation I did where you zoom in on this thing, and even though it's tiny, uh, I mean like the size of, the, of, of a head of a pencil. <laughs> when you zoom into it, you can actually see there's a UFO inside this this Stargate. So um, there was at least two instances of it that night. I su- I suspect the way they've been getting around all of our military. Um, um, uh, defenses there because you know. Here's the other thing we're talking about: prohibited airspace. Yeah, and, and so 9/11 too. Where... It was correct. So it was even higher security uh, in the air and on the ground because the the center of prohibited airspace starts at the Washington Monument, which is it's just the opposite end of the mall from the um, uh, the, the U.S. Capitol. Right, you got the Capitol, you got the the, the monument, you got the White House. That's essentially the mall. And so, um, yeah, they've been popping in and out of there, uh, I guess, because they can for for, um, quite some time. But specifically, it really began heating up in 1952. In the summer of 1952, everything went haywire. The government thought we were being invaded. And essentially, that's, you know, like I said, that's the incorrect term, in my opinion. They infiltrated long before, excuse me, long before 1952. And, um, they can come and go at will, absolutely uh, no way to prohibit them from from penetrating that controlled airspace and the crazier part about this is apparently some of them are human i mean totally human, so even if you 're not from this world, if you 're a human, you come here it 's easy to blend in, very easy to blend in
0: yeah and i 've heard these stories i mean not you know very similar stories similar enough to um uh to what you've just shared to you know this is uh, this is making me pay very close attention because nothing you've said in a way is 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 anything that i haven't heard under different circumstances um i've seen some very strange footage you talked about the sort of organic looking uh, uh imagery of of one of the photographs uh and that shows up occasionally um and and those are fascinating to me there's some strange videos i think they came from mexico of yes uh, of some of these
1: and, and turkey yep absolutely it's the same thing it's the exact same thing okay now that was caught on video but it's a morphing kind of octopus looking entity that's black and uh it flies silently but apparently that's an that is a that is an alien entity and it can somehow morph its shape into that of a human
0: oh so you're suggesting that that, that exact same floating sort of undulating jellyfish octopus mm-hmm. is is the same entity that would then morph itself into what we would see as a as a perfectly normal human
1: allegedly i'm also saying though that there are humans from other worlds that once they come here they can blend in quite easily so We have an array of uh, different types of aliens that if they're going to come here and infiltrate, they have to blend in. They can't just be like reptilians walking down the street or little gray, you know, bald-headed guys. They have to find a way to blend in if they're going to interact with us.
0: Yes. Yes. And I've also heard stories of, you know, what amount to, you know, totally human um, oftentimes referred to as very handsome, uh, very mm-hmm. beautiful, people will talk about uh, being sort of almost starstruck by their perfection.
1: Yes, the star people. You know, it's funny. We use terms like that person's brilliant, or they're a star, and that's that's it's built into our genetics um, because we are all essentially star people or uh, wandering souls. You know that that are of of an energy field that is of light. You know, so it's it's we're we're we use these terms kind of um uh they seem so generic, but they're they actually tell us something about who we are. I I think, you know, intentionally we've been cut off from our, our true origin. I agree and, completely, yes, I and,
0: agree. And I think that's been done on purpose in yeah, a way. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, quarantined either either well, okay, I'll just be blunt about this. Um Instead of giving you options, I'm just going to take it straight to the source. I personally believe that this world is controlled by the dark side, and that this is one of the reasons—the main reason—that we're not allowed to have contact. Uh, because the good guys, once they came down and started talking to us, they would just—they would just tell us the truth, and it would be very unpleasant. And the bad guys know that they don't want us to be aware. It's sort of like in the Matrix, you know, if you're familiar with. Oh yeah, the, that series. Um, at some point. Neo confronts the um, architect, and he says, you know, this isn't the first Matrix. We've had many different uh, uh, versions of it. And there was even one version where we we let everybody in on it. All the humans knew that they were here to serve the Matrix, and they became completely apathetic. They wouldn't produce any more energy. They were just uh, passive-aggressive. Had to scrap that and move on to the next uh, version. And I kind of think that's what's going on here, in my opinion. Uh, The bad guys are here for a reason, okay? It isn't just to to murder us and torture us, although the torture thing and murder actually does um, give them something. They are getting something for it, and it is a negative energy that they uh, apparently can feed off of uh, on some level Uh, because they're not connected to the source any longer. They don't feed directly from and communicate with the source. So they're stuck in a, let's just call it the matrix, Um, a dimension where that is is not uh, connected back to the source because the source is non-physical doesn't mean it doesn't exist in fact if anything this is the virtual reality that we're in here the more permanent timeless eternal reality this isn't it this is not it it, at all Uh, but we come here for a reason and uh, we learn like a classroom quite a bit while we're here hopefully I mean there's opportunities for that um, if we still choose to do that, uh, we can learn quite a bit uh, through our acts and our uh, through our deeds and our thoughts. But anyway, um, yeah, the the, uh, the bad the bad guy to say it like this, bad guy, good guy. It sounds so naive. Uh, the bad guys apparently have been in charge of this world uh, for a long time. I mean, thousands of years, and that's one of the reasons that they destroyed uh, all the records. Of who we are, how we got here, um, because you know it's sort of like when um, the slaves from came, were brought over from Africa. It was illegal to to teach them anything, uh, specifically them to read, read write. Yeah, yeah, it was against the law, and and they were cut off from their families and stuff. So I, I, that's really basically what's going on here. They, they they intentionally keep us ignorant, so so it makes it easier to control us, and obviously uh, keeping us at each other's throat. You know, divide and conquer. That seems to be working really, really well for them
0: now it's this is I've been doing my own research, and I have heard um these stories before, and I know one woman who has who i, I there's no way I could share her name here she's a very very private person uh-huh. she has in no uncertain terms um very passionately you know uh, with tears in her eyes explained to me you know her Set of insights and and uh, you know basically she says the wars that are created are uh, pr- are manipulated into being specifically to feed they you know their the, these dark entities their yeah. um, uh, their own needs their own agenda there so they can in essence feed on the chaos and the agony and the turmoil and the bloodshed uh, yeah. that insanity is a food for them and, and so she was very she's smart and articulate and uh, she very clearly laid that out um so you in essence are confirming something that that you know i've heard not just from her she definitely said it in a way that that was um you know very intensely passionate um mm-hmm. and uh and she, you know her claim also is that she is somehow wrapped up in an agenda and and her story would be through you know whether through mind control or actually a combination of mind control and and seemingly occult influences and we- as well as this u f o thing there's sort of a blending and a blurring of those three uh f- factors you know the ufo the occult and um and and this almost uh demonic forces
1: oh they are absolutely that's the that's what the right that's what the catholic church calls them uh possession by these demons yes and uh, the gnostics called them archon so um you know there's there is a history here that again most people don't want to look at uh, I deal with this in the second half of my second book. The conclusion is very disturbing because um, because that's where the information led me. You know, I did this investigation without any having any preconception of what was going on there. I just wanted to try and find out and then report that back to people as best I could. Um, so, like I said, the conclusion... Um, Second book, uh, covert encounters Washington D.C. is very very disturbing. Demons do exist in Washington D.C. I give examples such as the movie The Exorcist, which was prior to that was a book, was based on a, a real event that happened to a thirteen year old boy in nineteen forty eight Washington D.C. The Catholic Church was directly involved in that. Um,
0: and, and just is Georgetown a Jesuit college? Yes, it is. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay.
1: Yes, and I like I said I'm okay. So I'm. Um, <laughs> I know this sounds like I'm throwing rocks at the Vatican when I do these things, but um look, I just found that historically that the Vatican is um involved in the inception of washington d c and this country, uh mainly because it was a uh, considered a place where Catholics could worship, uh according to the english church um, you know they were uh it was illegal for people to practice mass in um England. And other parts of Europe. So coming here, getting a grant uh, uh, from the crown in England to have their own colony. Specifically, if you look at DC, it is partly in Maryland, which is the land of Mary, and Virginia, which is the Virgin. Uh, It's none of this is by accident. Absolutely not. The the U.S. Capitol is most closely architecturally related to the Capitolium on the seven hills of Rome. Um, it is, a, that was the place prior to them going over to Christianity, uh, the Romans all worshiped the god Jupiter or Jove. And he was, con- he was portrayed as a man sitting on a throne. He was always flanked by his wife and his sister, two women. Um, it was the place where the, the Roman senators would actually go and, and, uh, seek counsel with this god. Okay. I mean do you think do you really think that they were speaking to a stone statue I mean that's pretty absurd So um everywhere they the Romans went they would erect a hill and on on that hill they would build a replica of the Capitolium And that's exactly what we have in Washington DC
0: as well as an obelisk um you know facing that that dome
1: just like at the Vatican exactly. If you look at St Peter's Square yes it's it, Yes. it's um, In fact, the the statue, so-called freedom, is what we like to call it. It's actually a Greek um, woman named Persephone who was abducted by Hades, a demigod. He took her to the underworld. So how is it that they call that statue freedom? And you know where it came from? Rome.
0: Yes, and this is, this is something that, that uh, William Henry talks a lot about in the yeah. book. Um,
1: yeah, the he state. knows a lot. Yes, yeah, I appreciate you re- reminding me of that. Uh, yes, I've read parts of that. He is correct. You know, the symbolism is everywhere, but it's not just symbolism. This isn't some airy-fairy esoteric thing that we're talking about. Um, it's, it's a reality. It's a, it's a, like I said, it's a hidden history of, of our capital.
0: And if I'm not mistaken, the the architect of the Capitol uh, came from Rome, and I'm not sure if he was the architect of the Vatican, but he was the Vatican, the official Vatican architect that came over to the United States and and actually uh, designed uh, the U.S. Capitol.
1: Yeah, um, I can't. Remember do you remember? The, yeah. Well, okay. I I don't either. Um, but that makes sense because one of the early architects, LN Font. Um, he was he was a French Roman Catholic, but he was also a Mason. So he had a hand in the early design of the city, but he also was shown by one of the landowners, and you got to understand all of them were Catholic and they were very wealthy. Uh, in fact, they originally called that city New Rome. Um, well, before it was a city, they called that piece of property. When they were granted that piece of property for their own purposes, they called it New Rome. Um, he was taken allegedly into a cavern system that was the, the way it was described just, just below the surface. There are ancient tunnel systems that run in all directions there, uh, you know, under what is now Washington, D.C., prior to them building the city. Eventually, as you know, once in modern times, once we built, really established the nation's capital, it is part of the public record, which I documented in the second book clearly, that um, there are modern tunnel systems that run in all directions now. Well, what do you think the odds are that they incorporated the modern tunnel systems into the ancient tunnel systems? If they really did exist, I, I mean, it would just, I think it's a slam dunk. It's pretty obvious that they would have done that. But for for what purpose? I don't think we'll ever have the answer to that. I, don't, I think that's one of the, again, one of the major reasons that the government doesn't want to talk to us. Being the, us being the public, about what's really going on in Washington, D.C. with all this alien activity, because some of it is underground, and it's been there for a long, long, long time. Um, so it's possible that there's an alien base there. I wouldn't be surprised. Clearly, we have underground cities slash bases in that area. I, I counted at least um, 90 of them in that area. There are reports that they were actually going to build one about a mile deep under Washington, D.C., just in case of an extreme uh, emergency during, a, you know, a surprise attack situation, it would take them, you know, like fifteen minutes to evacuate everybody straight down. But you know, it, it, that's a fool's errand. I, I don't think these guys are ever going to escape. What? What? <laughs> how can you escape, considering that you know the game is rigged, that it's being run by the dark side? Uh, yeah. The only, in my opinion, the only way you can do that is go to the light. And it isn 't to be found in washington d c unfortunately,
0: now you talk about something called beltway fever or mm-hmm. or capital Fe- you know Washington fever now what is this what are you implying
1: that the people who go there, even with the best intentions, become possessed i mean that 's the Catholic term for it, um, but they are literally under mind control um, now i I know that from my research that it 's pretty common practice. To um, blackmail politicians mm-hmm. using um, sex, drugs, money, whatever means. And oh, to let me just
0: them. let me just jump back in. And that was one of the, I, I spoke about a woman earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, very handsome, very smart. Uh, talks of direct mind control experiences. Talks of multiple personalities. She, yeah. in no uncertain terms, uh, um, says that she was used. Uh, in some of these blackmailing situations.
1: Yeah, I, and I quote that briefly in the uh, the conclusion of the second book because it, it directly ties back to Washington, D.C., and I'm just using it as an illustration that this is, like you say, it's just, a, you know, it's common practice. Unfortunately, people don't know, and um, again, they obviously have a lot to hide in this regard, but it's a way of manipulating uh, people, politicians. Okay, that's what we know. What What we don't no, quite clearly uh is that the level of demonic possession that goes on in dc it is it is noticeable people uh have again they call it beltway fever or potomac fever once a person uh, enters the beltway which is a circle it's a magical circle within a circle uh and of course there's a pentagram there an, uh, a broken pentagram by the way which is it m- what i learned about that is it is for binding lucifer to that particular location wherever you set up a broken um pentagram like that that is exactly what it's for so it's a magical ritual uh spell you know anyway um so people that go there definitely are are under the uh at some point unless they are connect directly connected back to the source are they're they're vulnerable to being possessed by these entities. Now, that's either done through spiritual means or it's done through technical means, but either way, it is what it is. And um, I'm sure that's another reason that they don't want to talk to us and admit that this is going on, because clearly uh, the population would um, not take kindly to that.
0: Uh, Yeah, and and what you're saying, this is very interesting, because what you're saying, you're, you're telling a story that's, uh, you know, beyond belief, right? And, and at the huh. same time, I've followed you, you know, albeit not through your books, albeit just through through your um, audio interviews. Now, for the last three weeks or so, I've been, I've been, I think I've dug up pretty much every single thing I could find online that you've spoken on, and there's a there's a lot of it, and and I feel yeah. like I've listened to all of it. So, um, you know, I'm happy that we're just jumping right into this and getting right into the deepest waters right away. And I just want to inform the people who are listening that, um. You know, if given, uh, if you wanted to present this in a in a very uh, linear, in a progression that would that would bring the uh, listeners along, you could do that. It seems like we've leapfrogged past that, and I'm all Mm -hmm. for that. But um, uh, you know, so I I consider you a very credible source telling a very incredible story. Let me put it that way.
1: And uh, I would have thank you, and I would have to agree with that because I have found myself. Look, I didn't, I really didn't even want to publish the conclusion to the second book, I didn't want to go there because I'm already in hot water with people talking, I mean, I'm, I seem to be the only one talking about the level of covert alien activity in Washington, D.C., but to draw the conclusion that I have in the second book uh, that draws in the, uh, the Vatican, the role of the Vatican and the Jesuits and these secret societies and the satanic orders and, and uh, demonic aliens, I mean, come on. This I know that sounds crazy, but it's, it is what it is, okay? And I gave I give, Multiple examples over a period of time that that I feel are, is conclusive evidence that what I'm saying is accurate. I'm not trying to frighten people. If anything, I'm trying to alert them that we have a problem. We have a serious problem. And no one of us is going to act to to resolve this situation until we realize that we do have this problem.
0: And, and it's so interesting because – how to say this? Uh… You know I think that any thinking person uh if you you know ask a man on the street you know hey what what's going on in Washington, they would just say like you know they're insane they're they're insane uh greedy uh and they'll right. they'll dance around but i but you know they would probably come up with all the adjectives to define a demonic entity you know uh
1: well irration. unfortunately yeah yeah
0: <laughs> so so i mean i I sense that you know we all recognize that something's wrong, Um right. you know why what the source of it is is. You know, I mean, your conclusions make uh, it—you know—all the the puzzle pieces fit in a funny, tidy way. You know, through your conclusions,
1: Uh, it's still very uncomfortable, though, Mike. And I can see. Look, I understand why people are skeptical because the implications of what I'm saying is very difficult to swallow. It's frightening to some people. I mean, it's paralyzing, actually, to the people that work in Washington, D.C. Now I know why they behave the way they do. They are petrified. Uh, of of the taskmasters, the overlords, um, they're not scared of the public's reaction. Although they know it isn't going to be positive. If this is this was to come out uh, in a way that is considered credible, you know, here's the thing. Here's the kiss of death. It, if any one of those guys came forward and officially sanctioned what I'm saying, and so far it's only been the Capitol Police, and even then it was done very um, um, clever. And it was it allowed them to have plausible deniability. Uh, but anyway, if any government agency was to start spilling the beans, uh, it would be the end of our government as we know it. The whole thing would crash down because nobody would give them any respect. They would not honor the uh, any of the policies coming out of Washington, D.C. until everything was cleaned up, and I mean thoroughly cleaned.
0: And and Washington, D.C., you know, uh, is not merely the, 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 the central – place of power in the United States that, you know, it's the central place of power in the world at this point.
1: Yes, but the problem is, and most people don't know this, is that it's an extension of the Vatican. I mean, come on, why is it that all of, all of our presidents are going to the Vatican to meet with the Pope? It's not because they're Catholic, okay? You know, uh, it's because he has power. It's because it is an institu it is a governmental institution. Mm-hmm. It is a global government. It is. It is really the global government. So when the Roman Empire fell, it rose again as the Holy Roman Empire, and it is an empire. And my my understanding of it is that the Roman Empire is an extension of a larger galactic empire. So,
0: and in you know, in, I mean, on on even on just the you know galactic empire, that's just as you know the 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 Pope uh, is according to the the. Catholics is the, the one who can actually receive uh, information, receive messages from God himself. So, you know, calling it a galactic empire, they they say it just in, in that form.
1: Well, and they're also admitting that um, if extraterrestrials exist and they actually have a, a particular uh, body of, you know, that's supposedly studying this, you know, they have a group, a special group involved in this. Um, they said if the extraterrestrials do come here, they're welcome to join the church wow okay um
2: <laughs> i, I and then, you know
0: yeah 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 this it's very strange and this all there's like a they're i mean whatever the vatican's all horny for aliens in the last i what's it been like the last five years there's been yeah. so much going on with uh with their you know announcements of uh you know it seems like they're i don't know that it seems like they know something we don't know and they're just basically trying to uh cover their asses so they look good when something goes down in the very near future and then they'll be they'll have already released their you know their press release that sets mm-hmm. them up for for whatever you know whatever is is at the you know a, for a little further down the path
1: well you know they're okay one of their claims to fame is is um, exorcism but the problem is it isn't working because according to their own expert on this subject the leading exorcist for the Vatican I think his name is Father Gabriel Amorth. He said that the exorcisms are on the rise. Well, granted, uh, so is the population, but um, Father Amorth says it's uh, something about the internet is spreading it more quickly. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think these guys, the dark side, is simply uh, tired of laying low. Uh, that they are that we're coming up on some sort of transitionary period, and uh, they're feeling pressured it's possible that we are in a point where we could be liberated and they, that's the last thing they want. They do not want to lose control of us, especially if what we said earlier in the show is true. If they need us, although they treat us like, you know, horribly, they actually are, um, they need us.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I've heard it, um, you know, people who have, I've gone down this avenue of speculation with other folks and, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, if the dark side, these, you know, dark entities, uh, they seem to be reacting in the present more like a cornered rat uh, yeah. you know where they're they're lashing out almost uh, in a way that is blatant and obvious rather than doing you know stealthy things behind the curtain I, it just seems like the uh, oh i don't want to get all alex jones on on, on here <laughs> but but um the uh there are i don't know just i just i am i am continually shocked at the at how bizarre you know the headlines of the newspapers are
1: yes and and clearly now they're saying that bath salts cause people to become uh cannibals
0: cannibal zombies yeah
1: yeah well again everything that we're seeing in my opinion is being guided or manipulated by the dark side It isn't just Washington, D.C. I was – like I said, I was under the impression that only rarely do people become possessed by these entities. I've actually lived through an experience like that where I actually saw a young boy, uh, in my opinion, who was possessed, and um, I intervened. Uh, Look, I was – he was just going to bleed to death, so all I did was call the emergency uh, paramedics. And got them there on time so he didn't bleed to death. But as I was doing that, I actually felt the entities in the room. And that scared me because I was uh, 25 at the time. I didn't know about this stuff. I'm 52 now, so I'm, I'm a little wiser. I've been around the bush. And uh, they, can't, they can't fool me anymore. I know who they are. And I've been telling people who they are. And I've actually shown people some of these entities. And they don't like it at all. But I don't care. You know what? I don't really care what they like. Because uh, I'm not on the same team as them. Um, I, uh,
0: I've heard you tell that story. You sent mm. me. a Now, are you working on a fictional book or a fictionalized book? Because you sent me a yeah. chapter with that story, right. uh, somewhat fictionalized, though it matched fairly closely <laughs> yeah. your the the explanations you'd give. I also want to add that yeah. you just said you were 25 when that event happened, and right. now you're 52. And this is yeah. this is a, my my. Poor tortured brain. This is the kind of things that I jump oh, yeah. at. Uh, those those are the same numbers reversed. So uh, yes, I, right. Um, and
1: yes, I'm the same person, but reversed. In in that regard, <laughs> all my my ignorance has turned to, uh, to to knowledge. And at some point, if I live long enough, it will be wisdom, because knowledge is is at the application uh, through experience. And so that's how you gain wisdom. And so uh, you know, hopefully, I'll be wise enough at some point that I can actually help uh, others. You know, because you know, otherwise it's just the blind leading the blind. Throwing information out there blindly doesn't really help people, in my opinion.
0: Now, now I, I want to ask you more about this event that took place with the with the boy in the in the, the glass door. Yeah. Um, but first, I want to – you hinted at something in one of your. Um, audio interviews and and i never heard you follow up on it but i want to ask about it now and Go you ahead. you spoke about an experience when you were 13 years old 13 years oh. old when you were floated out a window
1: yeah 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 it was uh a, 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 well you know oddly enough it looks and i think about it that sphere of light that came into my room which apparently had an intelligence to it uh looks exactly like um, the same spherical object that showed up over my house in 2009 that I photographed, and the same spherical objects that Mr. Allen has been photographing in Washington, D.C. Well, can you just describe
0: it, just real quick? What it's,
1: you- well, what I saw, uh, I believe it was a golden globe of, of light that came into my bedroom and somehow took me out through the window, which I know a lot of people who've had contact or abduction have described this, but it took me out of the window, across the patio into my father's studio and for some reason I remember thinking this is really weird I'm laying on the floor there and looking up at this thing that was sort of like if you let a balloon go it goes to the ceiling it was it was floating up uh, on the ceiling and I was having a conversation with it I don't remember what we were talking about and I to this day I thought it was the weirdest weirdest thing ever but it was around that same year is when a, a simple crop circle showed up near my home And uh, my neighbor photographed it because he was having a land dispute with one of his neighbors. And so many years later, I actually was able to get a a copy of that uh, just to prove, you know, that something did land near the house. And I wasn't the only one that was seeing things or uh, at that time, actually, many of my neighbors were not only seeing the UFOs. One of my neighbors said that they also saw a UFO actually land in in the field because where I grew up in Malibu, all the houses were pretty spread out. I mean – you know, I lived on a two and a half acres. And that was a s that was a pretty small lot compared to some people. They had five acres, ten acres, you know. Uh so something landing in the field that's not unheard of. Um, although it is pretty strange. Um yeah, so you know, the the thing is that was just a beginning. Uh no, actually it started with a photograph that was in my father's studio, the same place that I was t- you know, this this ball of light took me. Um, my father had a picture of a UFO uh That that I I consider that to be the beginning. That was my entry point to awareness of of um, of UFO, Uh, because it was personal. I mean, my my dad said, you know, he knew the guy and he took the picture, but he didn't see it. So my young mind was like, well, how in the world could you possibly have taken a picture of something that's not there, right? I mean, so uh, (laughs) yeah. It, it's one of the reasons I started analyzing UFO photographs at an early age and trying to figure it out. There's an explanation for it, and it's pretty simple, is that our eyes only see a very narrow portion of the electromagnetic spectrum. And, and I've actually seen this myself, where a, a UFO would literally appear out of nowhere, seemingly, go through a whole range of colors, and then disappear again. I don't think that they are going into a Stargate. I think they're simply beyond. A lot of times, the energy field around the ship is beyond what our eyes can see. Just like there's frequencies, you know, we cannot hear. Right. Ooh,
0: ooh, I'm going to interject. There's a wonderful book called um, "Visitors from Time" by Mark Davenport. Uh, okay. And and Mark Davenport was married to uh, Leah Haley, who is a famous abductee. And and I'm and I mm-hmm. just I, I I don't know this for sure. And I'm just I'm just repeating what i've heard but i've also heard that mark davenport was an abductee himself but Mm -hmm. he wrote an amazing book where he looks at all these uh phenomena of of uh ufos uh, disappearing and reappearing and he he presents a logical well thought out uh set of uh conclusions and what you just described going through the spectrum um is exactly uh you know how he describes and some of the uh, terms he uses to uh share what what might be happening and how it disappears so in essence it's still there it's mm-hmm. still there in the sky and this is something i've heard as from from direct witnesses multiple times where they say um you know i saw a ufo it was there in the sky and then blink it turned off and then the next thing they say and i've actually learned to sort of wait for them to say it is they'll <laughs> say but i knew it was still there yep um, you, you and- can
1: feel them you can feel them watching you. I don't know if they're beaming and like have an energy beam on you and reading your thoughts or something, but it's happened to me one time coming back uh, down off of the mountain one night there in Malibu where I knew they were watching me and following me. I mean, I had the feeling. I really had the feeling. It was, it was, it was bothering me so bad that at one point I slowed down. I was riding a motorcycle, uh, which I used to do a lot. And I'm looking up at this one section of the mountain, and I'm literally thinking, I'm, gonna, I'm going, okay, I'm going to test this out. I said, uh, I know you guys are watching me, and you, you, might, you, know, you might as well just show yourselves because I'm not going to harm you. Right? You got nothing to fear from me. And as soon as I had that thought, they turned the light on, I could see them, they were obviously pacing me, and I almost wrecked my bike because I, I stopped looking at the road, my mouth was open, I was freaking out actually, I wasn't scared, I was in shock, I really was in shock that they that my feeling was right, and there they were, as plain as day, even though it was night, I, they were they <laughs> they turned the light on, I could see them, they followed me for a few seconds, and at some point, I guess they realized I was going to wreck my bike, and they turned the light off again, and I you know I re- really started you know refocused on the road again but i wasn't i wasn't in my right mind for at least a good half an hour or more after that i mean i had to pull over and and just you know i was talking to myself i'm thinking this is nuts this is absolutely crazy how and why are they following me around what what what's going on here i had no answers they didn't give me they didn't give me any answers i had to find my own answers
0: Well, if you're friends with Daryl Sims, and, uh, I mean, one of the things, and and, uh, I I have, uh, uh, this is the avenues of research I'm going down, is the abduction lore, and, you know, one thing that, uh, you know, I mean, just you've said enough, and I've heard enough that, um, I mean, there's a term abductee, there's a term contactee, experiencer, all these vocabulary words kind of blend together, (laughs) Um, I don't like any of them, but, um, you know, you you know, my you know, I would have to say, I would have just have to conclude that you're you're somehow intertwined with these UFO internet entities, uh, and yeah. and that shows up as an abduction contact experience.
1: Yeah, and it's 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 always very mysterious. Uh, and here's why I think, over after studying this for a, pretty much a lifetime, is uh, well, I, I look, I'm not just studying this for a hobby. Yeah, it is. It's a way of life for me because they have shown up in my life so many times. Um, I I relate. I can relate uh, to what's going on when other people talk about it. I mean, personally relate. Uh, So I think that, like I said, the bad guys are in charge. The good guys all are infiltrating. Although it's dangerous, they do infiltrate. They watch what's going on. I think that they they have made efforts to liberate a certain amount of people here uh, at a certain time that I don't know what it is. Uh, I know a lot of people, there's a lot of speculation about this on the internet right now, but Uh, None of us know for sure, right? So, but I know that they've intervened, you know, at times in my life. And um, other times I think it's just like they're just following me around. But um, like I said, what happened in 2009 was really odd because I had done a show, much like we're doing now. It was at night and it was around um, 10 o'clock at night. It was uh, the weekend of uh, Valentine's Day. And I was frustrated like I said, you know, early on in this thing, I was I wasn't dealing with the stress too well. And um so I went outside, I looked up at the stars and I'm thinking I was I was I was sending them a message because I figured, well, they they're probably gonna, they've been, I know they could hear me in the past, they probably hear me now. Hey guys, why aren't you helping me? Are you nuts? Do you really think that I alone am going to be able to take on Washington DC? I mean, please. You know you're <laughs> you have more advanced technology. There's more of you. You know how about some help? And you know, look, I wasn't really expecting help. I just needed to f- vent. I was very very frustrated. So um, you know, nothing happened that night. But the next morning, I'm out in the same same place in the front yard uh, with my dog, and uh, and I'm, suddenly I, I was uh, there was a jet taking off near my home. And um, in a way that I had never seen before, it was very loud, very low. I looked at it. I'm thinking, wow, what's going on? As it's moving from my left to right, I I see behind it, just above and behind it, I see what looks like a star in the day. Now, instead of 10 at night, now it's 10 in the morning and there isn't a cloud in the sky, beautiful blue sky here in, in New England. I'm looking and I'm thinking, that's weird. Is that Venus? I mean, I'd never seen anything that clearly before. It was a golden yellow color. Again, much like that thing I saw back when I was 13 years old in 1973. But now, I mean, it's it, it was there. And I'm looking and I'm thinking, gee, that's odd. And as the jet moved by and I could get my bearings with this object uh, that I originally thought was a star planet, it, I realized it was moving towards the house. And I thought, wow. So I ran into the house. And I grabbed a camera, came out. And by that point, with you know maybe two minutes had passed. It was now parked over the backyard, um, maybe 1,000 feet up. Not, not, not that high, you know, but it, was, it wasn't, you know, hovering over the, the house. It was, it, was, it was parked. It was stationary, but it was up there a good 1,000 feet. So I took uh, four pictures, and then I lowered the camera to check the settings, and when I looked back up, it was gone. Visually, it was nowhere in sight. Clear day. Couldn't see it anywhere. And it was bright. It was really bright. And then it dawned on me, wait a minute. I sent out uh, an SOS last night. I sent out a distress signal. This must be their way of answering it. They must have heard me, just like the other time. They heard me, they, you know, and they made themselves visible to me, but that was it. Same thing, you know, decades later, right? So uh, they're still around, I guess is what I'm trying to say. They're still, it isn't really about me. I, I hope. I'm not making this sound like it's all about me. I'm a, a, a part of a minority of people that are being monitored. Monitored, uh,
0: oh, by, by them, the 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 ETs.
1: Yeah, and I, and I suspect it's both good and bad. I know the bad guys are really upset with me for what I've been doing in, in, with this Washington D.C. thing. Um, I know, but on the flip side, like I said, what happened in 1985 with that boy, um, that. Uh, the the bad guys were really upset that I interrupted their feeding frenzy.
0: Here, before it, you tell the story about the boy, which which, yeah. which I want you to share because that that is interesting. It's pretty I, weird. Let me let me uh, uh, editorialize here a little bit about. <laughs> so, so you said you were a part of minority that is yeah. being monitored. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, I have been forced to come to the conclusion that I am also part of that minority um uh I could just go right down the list here and I've had you know I've seen I uh, I had a very profound UFO sighting that blinked disappeared uh that happened when I was 12 years old I had a I uh I had an orb in floating up near the roof of my bedroom just where a balloon would set uh and mm. that occurred after probably singularly one of the most vivid UFO dreams I've ever had um I did this thing where uh this was the uh, I, I had a UFO dream, uh, you know, uh, where I was in a forest and I was, I saw something in the trees. It was glowing orange. The next thing I knew I was, I was, uh, being lifted off the ground. I was floating. And then I looked down at the forest. This was all happening at night. Very defined forest, these thin pine trees. Um, and I, uh, was then dropped into the UFO, uh, which was hovering there, a big black uh, shape that was just kind of uh, you know darker than everything else. there was something glowing orange below it. Uh, so uh, I woke up from that dream. I did something I've never in my life done. I ran downstairs and got a voice recorder. I came back upstairs to my bed, climbed in bed, and then uh, spoke into the voice recorder with the light on uh, in the bedroom, and then you know narrated that dream and then when I was done, I turned the light off and uh, there was a glowing blue. Uh, orb about the size of a grapefruit hovering um, above my bed, uh, right where a balloon would set, you know, just right up it. I sleep in a loft, I live in a small cabin and there's the, the way my uh, bedroom is is actually just a loft with a so it's, it's you can't quite stand up in there But um, so, you know, in essence this thing was like three feet from my eyes and I stared at it for a very short time and I did something that, that shows up over and over again in the UFO uh, lore um, I just Rolled over and went to sleep. <laughs> you're yeah. laughing, yes. So you've, yeah, you've heard that before. So. Oh, many times, yeah. Okay, I just, just, I don't know quite what happened. I just got really dizzy. I'm sitting here at my, just as I told that story, I got oh, really, really dizzy. Um, Are you okay? Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. It was just an odd little thing. It's, it's just, it didn't feel, it felt unusual. Um, mm-hmm. Now... Uh, there was a couple other things you spoke about. Oh, I'd have one story uh, where, and people who've listened to my blog are tired of hearing these stories, but so I won't, I won't, I won't bend your ear too much, but uh, I did have a story where I was exasperated. I was frustrated. I went out to uh, sleep under the stars, which is something I do. I recorded the same little voice recorder. I recorded this plea to the universe. Mm. And I basically said, listen, I'm tired. I can't handle this anymore. I'm confused. I don't understand what's going on. I need some answers. Mm -hmm. Um, And, the very next morning, uh, and I do that because sometimes I get very profound dreams when I sleep outside. So if I, and I take the voice recorder rather than a pen and paper, cause I feel like I can get it out quicker if I have a cool dream. Sure. Um, uh, the next morning, no dream. It was a beautiful, I live right near Grand Teton National Park. So, um, oh, wow. yeah. So, I mean, I'm looking out my window at the Grand Teton right now. So, uh, <laughs> uh, nice. so I live in a very pretty spot. Um, I live on the Idaho side of the border that rather than the Jackson Hole side, um, mm-hmm. So the next morning, I get up, no dream, no nothing. I walk back to my car, I get home, and I check my email. And now, this, there's a little bit of a backstory to this, but I get an email from a fellow named Mike Lewis, which is a pseudonym. And it says, Mike Lewis wants to be your friend on Facebook. And the timing of his email, as far as me looking at my Well, kind of just knowing the time that it was when it was sunset the night before Mm -hmm. um, was quite possibly to the minute. It was 9.38 when he sent that email. Now, Mike Lewis was was with me in 1974 when I had a profound missing time event of two hours where we saw where I claim to have seen, well, I like claim, I mean, I know I remember this pretty clearly, I saw what amounted to an orange flash in the sky while walking home from a high school football game. Um, he claims to have seen a UFO with lights and everything. And mm-hmm. uh, that was his quote. Actually, his direct quote, when I asked him later, uh, he said, a UFO with fucking lights and everything. <laughs> uh, so, that you know, ought to be 12, you know, little 12-year-old boys. But um, so yeah. I had lost touch with him and hadn't talked to him in... 30 years. And that was the moment. And I had been mm. looking for him. I'd been, like, you know, getting on the little, uh, what do you call it, you know, the little web detective agency things where you try to search mm-hmm. people out. Um, and hadn't had any luck finding him. His his very common name. Uh, and he no longer lived in, in uh, Michigan, where we both grew up. Um, so... You know, he chose that moment. So, so that was in a way confirmation. In, in uh, and I have a series of stories like that. I could, I could go down the list of most of what you've talked about, um, so far as far as your own personal experiences, and say, and in, in kind of share my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, thing. So just just, just to let you know that. Uh, you oh know, yeah. It, it might be a minority, but you and I are both in it. I feel so.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And I and I'm attracted to people such as yourself in ways that just make no sense whatsoever. So I do think that there's a is a faction that is helping us find each other, obviously through the internet now it's a lot easier. but um, and I've also found too, there's a lot of people that are interested in this, but they because of the excuse me, the social stigma that is attached to it, a lot there's many people that simply won't talk about it publicly, but when you get with them privately. They will open up and say, you know, yeah, I'm interested, or yes, I've had experiences too.
0: <laughs> oh, yes, I've definitely, yeah, that right. I've had that experience too, where people sort of take me aside and kind of, you know, like, oh, you're the only person I can tell, but here, yeah, what happened yeah. to me.
1: It's a, it's a horrible open secret. It, it, you know, again, I think this is again the, the way the dark side is working to keep us all sort of divided up. If we would all just share openly what we're, we we know to be true. uh it would be a lot better basically put all our gifts on the table together. It would make more sense to us all. Uh, but Lake Michigan, you know, I think there's a base there It has been probably has been for a long time. Clearly the evidence shows that there's something huge going on there and it did, it's been going on for some time. So I'm not surprised that you're having experiences there.
0: Yeah. And, and who knows? I'm, you know, it's interesting. I, I try to be as agnostic as I can be about a lot of these issues because I sense that, you know, by being alien, uh, you know, but the very word alien, if you look it up in Webster's, you know, just is, you know, says something, you know, means something that is unknowable foreign. in a way. Foreign, foreign, to point foreign, point foreign unknowable. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, who knows how they f- travel? You know, they flit in and out of our reality. Um, you know, uh, I don't have any evidence that they're from outer space or anything like that. Uh, they could certainly mm-hmm. be uh, from, you know, an interdimensional uh, uh you know, they they could be emerging from from who knows where and mm-hmm. um, and and but my dude my very real sense is that they have been here a long time um you know quite you know before the primordial ooze uh you know i i <laughs> was here on the planet i suspect that they were here uh, in some form um and and i 'm very cautious one of the things i 'm very cautious to do, and i'm 'm kind of on my high horse here because this is something that I hear other people do, and it always annoys me is when people will sort of anthropomorphize these mm-hmm. entities and and just make it seem like they 're us, just you know just mm-hmm. us a little further down the down the road, you know where they might have a little more advanced technology than we do and um and I think. That is is a oversimplification that that uh, that I I just try to avoid. It may it actually might be true. They may just be, you know, a very uh, similar form of us, just a, a little farther down. But I I just don't have evidence of that, so I, I just am cautious to how I how I frame things um, until I have some you know better evidence or personal experiences or or. Uh, you know the collective data tells me that but until then um you know whatever's going on is a, is uh a, is a mystery and and it, all we can do mm. at this point is look for patterns and um and that's what I think you've actually done really well
1: thanks it's, well yeah it's, but it's, it, we want to get we want to get to the bottom of this somewhere and unfortunately until we actually have a dialogue with one or more of these extraterrestrial races uh we're not going to know who they are, what they are. I can tell you this much, though. I am absolutely certain we're all related. We all come from the same source. Everything, all intelligent life, all consciousness, comes from the same source, a non-physical place. Let's just call it heaven. Uh, it's not a physical place, again. I. It's. It, but it is a place where everything is timeless, infinite, and, and has the ability to, to be united, as opposed to this matrix, this universe that we're in here, where everything is divided and finite and... um. Well, it's, like I said, it's a classroom. This is a classroom. It's the polar opposite. Let's put it another way. It's the polar opposite of heaven in that regard. You know, everything that, this is everything that heaven is not. So I believe that all life forms in this, in this matrix are, uh, have a common denominator in that they, they originate from the soul or the consciousness of that entity originates exter- from an external place. And it returns to that external place when it's done here. If it chooses, if it does, if it, you know, if it uh, makes the right choices, if its thoughts and deeds are are true and pure, and it retains its connection to the source, that's where it will return to. Otherwise, it's just stuck here.
0: Yeah, and and the uh, the yeah, I agree. The issues of of us being here, it seems like we have purposely been given blinders right we're yes. purposely incapable of 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 uh seeing beyond the veil you know maybe a mystic can sit on a uh a mountaintop and meditate and, and tap into mm-hmm. it maybe a psychic can get glimpses into it you know uh but uh, collectively we are being Set up, whether as a grand experiment or a grand classroom or grand punishment, mm. who knows, <laughs> uh, to, to, uh, to be here and have these blinders on and have to sort of grope our way through this this three-dimensional reality, you know, where we stub our toe and it hurts and, and uh, you know, we try to find enlightenment at the same time. You know, we still got to pay the rent, <laughs> yeah. you know.
1: Yeah, it's the price of admission, Mike. Ignorance or the veil, as you say, uh, That's you have to agree to that just to enter this matrix. Yeah,
0: we, in my in
1: my understanding, you know, and yeah, but occasionally people do see through it, and then it makes and then it makes their life pretty difficult. And I'm speaking from experience. When you do cross over, either through a near death or out of body experience, cross back into the source, heaven, whatever, you come back here and you try to explain it to people. They look at you like you know, uh, like the fish who's been caught and then tossed back. Exactly. What's like? Come on. There's nothing outside of the ocean. What are you talking about, people? Yeah. Yep. Air. what 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 is that you're not at nuts. the same time
0: they all <laughs> probably have little stories they whisper you know like ah cheated you know i heard you know like then the mythology is this giant yep. net you <laughs> know, and it comes down and you know and and funny we haven't seen you know our old buddy um you know charlie the tuna in a long time you know he somehow yep. disappeared yes yep. i yeah so the metaphor i agree um you uh, go ahead and if you, I mean, I can put a link to some of your other interviews where you talk about this experience, and I and I suspect that you've told this uh, a million times, but oh. the event with the boy and the glass, the broken glass.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's. Um, hmm. But see, okay, the, the the reason I tell that story repeatedly is because what happened was even though I. It's not so, so much about the boy. It was about the entities, which I really had no idea walking into that situation that there were other dimensional entities that were feeding off of him and his grandparents' pain and, and you know, fear. Um, but I felt them. And the reason I felt them is because they started attacking me. They were really ticked off that I, I intervened. Not I, Like I said, it was purely innocent on my part. That's what I thought. Um, and But once I left that that area and i knew the boy was going to at least have a fighting chance to live um i, I went back because i was working as a security guard on a on a beach out there a very exclusive private beach in malibu i went back to my post i was basically at work you know uh and um but i felt horrible i really felt they were now attacking me trying to get energy out of me any way they could and it was something i'd never experienced before and hopefully never have to go experience that again uh mental parasites you know i mean that's really what they were but it wasn't just attacking my brain i could really feel them trying to just suck the life right out of me they wanted me dead and um uh so i i after work i went to my neighbor's house he was a mentor friend and he says well you should go up to um the mountain tonight it's an equinox there's going to be a full moon uh, rising, he says, "You should, uh, you know, he instructed me to, to go up there and watch the sunset. He said, you know, the last five minutes or so, stare deeply into the sun." And he says, "You'll have visions in your dreams tonight." I'm like, oh, "Okay, well, anything." I was actually desperate. I, I, I anything would have been better than nothing at that point. Um, so I went up to the mountain. I was un- I wasn't planning on spending the night, but I rode my motorcycle up to a, a, an area I'd never really been before, but it seemed like a good spot. That's where I ended up. And, um, I saw, so, again, I needed to do, I, I wasn't just going to sit there and look at the sun and the moon, but it it kind of happened that way that, uh, I found a way if I tilted my head backwards or up a certain way, way, I could actually see the full moon and the sun out of either my, well, actually it was my right and left eye. It was really weird. I'd never done that before, but, um... So uh, I had some weird experiences, but the strangest thing was I meditated for a long time, and at some point I got tired. I knew I wasn't going to be able to ride out of there at that late hour. I mean, it was, you know, after midnight. So uh, I laid down on this uh, the ruins of an old um, radar installation that the military had put up there, and uh, almost immediately I felt myself floating up, uh, which I assumed to be out-of-body experience. And uh, I was and I found myself in the light or a light because I, all I could see was light in every direction. And I felt like I was floating, but I also felt like I was safe. And I knew that the entities couldn't follow me there, um, which was that was a huge relief. And um, I don't know how long I was there. It didn't seem like very long before I saw something or someone moving towards me, which really got my attention. And considering what it, I'd been through that day, I was like, uh oh what next you know and um so uh i'm looking at this thing whatever and I, and i soon recognized it to be a person a human looking entity um but the strange thing about it was that this person was actually brighter than the light that surrounded us i mean he was extremely bright and um uh as he got closer to me i i'm looking at him and i started wondering i said to myself whoa who is this? You know, and he says to me, "I'm your father." I'm like, "What?" You know, that <laughs> that was the last thing. I know that sounds like something out of Star Wars, but um, or
0: or some you know uh, a chick comic or something. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's just ridiculous. I know, but it's um uh uh it boy it really threw me for a loop because he didn't look like my father, and he, um as, like I said, the guy was glowing. He was wearing a, a, a he, kind of like a Jesus-like character in the sense that he had long hair, a beard, and a robe. And his, but his eyes, and I've actually found other people describing this too, his eyes were actually, uh, there was a light emanating from his eyes. So uh, he says, I'm your father, and I, went, and I went, again, I went into shock. You know, it's like that did, that did not compute whatsoever. And um, the next thing I, well, actually, the, the last thing I remember about being in his presence was he started laughing at me and not in a sinister way either he was i think he was um from i I can i'm only guessing now he thought it was funny that i was first of all not recognizing him and second of all that i was going into this you know like a a meltdown a mental meltdown uh over this whatever was happening um the and then the, the very next thing that i consciously remember was i sat bolt upright and i was awake so it it felt to me like um Maybe a minute had gone by since I first laid down. I thought, oh, my God, that was a crazy, that was a that was a really weird dream because I wasn't even really asleep. I mean, you know, here's the thing. Human body, it, it really takes about 90 minutes before you start going into the REM state and having dreams. How in the world could I, I know I was tired, but I mean, I, I thought I was conscious for the whole thing. Really, I thought I was. So anyway, um, then I looked around and I realized now the position of the moon had shifted so much that it was almost completely gone. And I thought, oh, wait a minute, that means at least two hours have gone by. I didn't have a watch on me, so um, I'm just guessing based on that astronomical movement, at least two hours went by. Um, more like three, I guess. So, and then, I, like I said, but, you know, part of me, I knew that wasn't a dream. I knew that was another uh, reality somehow, that I had just stepped over a line. I crossed a line, and I was... Um, no longer on earth, that's for sure. So, but I didn't know where it was, but I knew that wherever it was, it was it was good. It was good. And uh, that person, whoever he was, was good. And it was an answer to my prayers during my meditation, which was, you know, I've seen evil. I, I want to know that, I I need to know that something good does still exist in this universe. Otherwise, I don't know how I'm supposed to carry on here. So, I, I you know... Uh, a lot of times you when know, people say when I t- talk about this, they go, "Oh, well, you just imagine it." Really? Well, then, uh, how do you explain that later that day that um, the first thing I did actually was go back and check on the boy, and make sure he, he he survived, which he did, and I was very grateful that grateful for that. But I <laughs> I did something that was completely out of character. I told his grand uh, the the grandparents the boy's grandparents. Uh, I gave him a message. I said, I told him, I said, look, you can heal the scars on his face, but unless you do something to heal the scars on his soul, this will happen again. I couldn't explain it then. I know now what was going on. But like I said, at the time, I felt compelled. I, and I could have just as easily got fired for doing that, acting like a, a nut job uh, at work. But um, shortly after that, I went back to my post, and then a girl came uh, up who I, she was a friend of my girlfriend. She was there the day or the day the boy hurt himself. She came back the next day, and she was really excited. She tells me, um, "I saw you last night in my dreams. You came to my house. You took me out of the bedroom like Peter Pan. You took me up to the mountains and taught me how to fly." Now, I hadn't told her anything. I didn't tell her one word of what had happened the night before because I wasn't even sure what happened. But um, and she just, she described this in great detail, and she was all excited. So, I mean, this is totally out of character for, by the way, total material girl. Uh, and she says to me, I think this has something to do with spirituality.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, you know? I agree. I, mean, I agree. And that's where, this is where so, the, let me just interject that. I mean, this is where the, 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 there's a blurry line between the UFO phenomena and spirituality. It jumps back and forth. And you yeah. would oh. never know that if you read a bunch of MUFON reports. You know what I mean? Oh, about God. lights in the sky. So, anyway, keep yeah. going.
1: It's, it's not, right. It's not nuts and balls. There is, there is a, there is a sp- spiritual component and like i said we're all at some point it doesn't matter what planet you evolve on or come to you know the classroom is the classroom and it's a call it a universe matrix whatever we're all in it um so but anyway um so and then later that day i went home and the phone was ringing i walked in and i picked up the phone it was my grandmother complete opposite from this young girl that you know i talked to earlier there's my grandmother and she says, You know, Robbie, I, I just had to call you. She says, um, I saw you last night at the foot of my bed. And she says, You were all lit up like a Christmas tree, just glowing. And I said, Oh my God. Did I teach you how to fly? And she goes, No, don't be silly. She says you <laughs> she says, You were telling me something. She says, I cannot for the life of me, I can't remember what you said to me. But she says, I had to tell you that was the most incru- you that was so beautiful, the way you were glowing. And I thought Okay, I give up. You know, I'm not going to question this anymore. Clearly, um, if these two women who don't know each other were telling me the same, basically describing the same thing about me, doing something that was um, otherworldly, then I do – I just have to accept. I mean, at the time, I was just thinking to myself, I have to accept the fact that I do have some father that's not – a family member that is not even of this world – And he glows in the dark, you know, and, and, and has long
0: hair, a beard and wears a robe. Uh, Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, When I saw him, he did, but who knows? I mean, look, the point is, uh, 20 years go by and I'm still puzzling over it. 20, 30 years actually now. Gee, where'd the time go? Uh, So just this year, recently I started asking for clarification. I said, please give me some, give me some guidance here. I want to know who this person is. What is the meaning of all this? And Again, it didn't happen instantly, but really quickly, I suddenly was getting, in, in very uh, synchronistic ways, I was suddenly gaining access to all kinds of information. Some of it I'd, I'd seen before, but it never really appreciated And it. It's like I wasn't ready for it.
0: Ooh, so just define gaining access.
1: Um, books. Not but not always books. Sometimes it was just messages that came. I mean it was in other words, it was the direct response to my request, but it came not always in a it wasn't a neat little package that came in the mail. But it came nonetheless. And came I recognized that they they heard me. Once again, they heard me and they were doing things in a way um oh uh, it's it's it seems rather clandestine, but again, you gotta understand we're in a war zone here. So they did the best they could to help guide me to the information that that i that here on this world that would give me the answers as to who that who is that guy and and why is this conflict what is this conflict how long has it been going on for i mean really big big picture stuff so um yeah that's what happened <laughs>
0: Now, now, so I've heard you tell this story before. I'll put some links mm. on to some. There's some excellent interviews with you where you where you tell Thanks. that story in a little more detail. Um, yeah. Now the grandparents, you s- insinu. You, let's. I'm not. I don't care. I don't want anyone's name here. So don't don't worry. it. Yeah. But I, I do know. you suspect that they were involved in some sort of a cult ritual?
1: Uh, not that I know of. I didn't even know them. They were just renting the beach house, or it was. Um, the, it might have been a friend. That lent them the keys to the beach house because that was pretty normal. In those, sure, oh yeah, along the beach. Um, I, I didn't get that feeling from them at all. I, I got the you no. Know, but so when I was there, after I called the paramedics, uh, I, I went over because uh, I saw this glass everywhere, and and uh, I the grandmother was in a complete state of shock. She had no color in her face. She was, at, you know, she was kind of like zombie land. She was really not coherent. She was in a state of shock, really bad. And um, so I said um, – uh, I started looking around because I, I, I knew the owners of the house pretty well because I was their security guard. So I see them a lot. Anyway, I, I got some stuff and, uh, to clean up the glass. And as I'm cleaning up the glass, I started – the grandmother sort of, sort of like was thawing out. And she says – and I said to her, you know, look, I don't mean to pry, but I was talking to your grandson uh, a few minutes before he, he just did you know ran into this sliding glass store. I said I noticed he had uh, a very large scar on his forehead already. I said, Do you mind telling me how he got that? And she says, Oh yeah, that was last year. He was um he was playing in the uh the bed of the pickup his father's pickup truck with a cat. The cat jumped out and he jumped out after it head first and hit his face on the trailer hitch. And um I thought, Whoa, that's God, that's pretty horrible. Um, because I remember when I looked at him thinking there's something wrong with this kid. Not just that he's got this huge scar on his forehead, he seemed really like sad. Uh, and it, there was no reason for that. It's a beautiful day at the beach. He should be, and he's out there playing in the sand. You, you would think, you know, a kid would normally mm, feel good about life. Anyway, um, uh, so, and I pressed her a little bit f- further. I said, um, I forget exactly what I said, but she told me, she said, I'm really glad that the door was shut. I'm like, what? And she said, Yeah. He got up. She said he just got up suddenly and ran across the room for no reason and smashed into the door. And she said, If the door wasn't shut, I think he would have jumped over the railing because it was the second story of the of the house. And that's when the hair on my back of my neck stood up. Sorry. Because I could actually feel the entities in the room. I recognized at that point what they were doing to him. They were manipulating his mind. They were possessing his mind and telling him, you can fly. You can fly. Jump. <laughs> and and that's what he did. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it, it's amazing the things that they get. You know, for example, the, the, the boy in the, in the, uh, the, the real child, <clears throat> 13-year-old boy in the movie The Exorcist, or the story, the real story. He didn't know what was going on. During the daytime, he had no memory of it whatsoever. And at nighttime, he wasn't himself. He wasn't in the body. Some other entity or group of entities were using his body to do those things. Uh, Not only to the boy, but people, how they get the energy, like I said, is is pretty nefarious. But there's a purpose. There's a method to the madness here. They, They really do harvest a lot of negative energy when they create that kind of uh, um, pain and suffering and, and confusion in us <clears throat> so that's what it that's that's what happened
0: yeah this is this is fascinating so so this is this is what happens when you talk about UFOs. You start talking about one thing, and then suddenly you're talking about something else entirely. Um, and
1: yeah. uh, well, no, 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 they're connected. You well, said they're before, connected, but not in,
0: not in the pop culture. So let's N-
1: no, not here. yet. They haven't fully been exposed. And you know, see, this is what this is their weakness. They mm-hmm. they cannot they cannot afford to be exposed in any credible or official capacity, because then they are in real serious trouble. The human condition is such. Our human the soul. Does not like to be controlled, we have free will for a reason. we were given free will for a reason, and so whenever it's violated, we know it, we feel it, and we fight against it. We resist. Resistance isn't futile, it's part of the human condition Yes actually, it's part of being alive. I don't care what you know, even a mouse will resist you know it's, it's part of consciousness, you know has it, it we consciousness has to evolve, and it can't do so if it's being manipulated by an external force.
0: So. In, at the same time, I'm just just going to play. You know, with that, just you, like an airplane can't take off unless it's flying into the wind. Um, you know, you know, in order to, to you know, fully realize a full. Breath of experience you know we have to be confronted with with all kinds of things dark light good bad Yep, yeah. um, and
1: and hence the classroom called the matrix yes yeah. that's why we come here and there's various degrees of difficulty that we experience along the way and we but we also have very good teachers and tutors that assist us along the way all mm-hmm. of us and in fact as we become more um advanced we actually have an obligation to help others who are less advanced as they struggle through their lessons.
0: Yes. And I and I in and I am playing a role right now where I feel like I'm doing this podcast, I'm writing these essays on my blog, um, and I am coming from a place of my own personal well, I guess, confusion. I'm just gonna put it that way. <laughs> this is this is therapy. What I am yeah. doing, this conversation right now is Completely selfish on my part. It is 100% mm-hmm. therapy, where I am trying to make sense of my own experiences in a way where I can, you know, where I can proceed forward. And something about that, you know, this is, you know, it's not like a oh, like I haven't reached reached a homeostasis. Like I'm all over the map right now. I'm, I'm uh, and there are other people who share that. And I and I and I fully realize that. Certain people are finding my blog and finding these audio interviews because they are in oh a similar headspace as myself and, and um and I'm not exaggerating. I mean I definitely get emails where people thank me because they are in the same, you know, place yeah. where I am. And and it is uh so, you know, on one level I'm doing it for selfish reasons and on another level, uh um, you know, I feel like uh I'm putting some energy out into the world that that, that is is beneficial to uh, more than a few people.
1: Mm. Well, I do think that part of the goal here is, and game over for the dark side, is once we humans recognize who the common enemy is and uh, we resist in a unified way, then we will learn a, a very valuable lesson while we're here. So it's, it's, uh, oh, it, oh. it serves a purpose.
0: Yes, yes. Hey, you—you you spoke about an experience that fascinated me, and this is another experience that has nothing to do with UFOs, uh, but but I, it just struck me as so interesting. You told a story about being in the King's Chamber oh, yeah. of the uh, Great Pyramid in Egypt.
1: Yeah, um, right. I traveled to fifty-seven countries between the ages of fourteen and nineteen. I was on on a cruise ship or various cruise ships with my parents, who are—they uh, were entertainers. My Father's fine artist painting pictures. My mom was a classical pianist, so she was always performing. Um, so anyway, we go to Egypt. They uh, we, we drive to Cairo, go to the. Of course, you got to go to the pyramids, and uh, they didn't want to go in there. So um, I I said, "Hey, I want to go in there. Just you know, you're gonna w- just wait here." So and, I'm and going. how old were you? Uh, At that point, I think I was. 17 okay great. i think Thanks. i think i'm just I, you know it's kind of vague that was a long time ago um but um i was a teenager and i went in there and uh very intrepid i exploring around by myself and um went to the queen's chamber for a while took some pictures i uh, was there by myself went up the grand gallery by myself got a huge cramp in my leg uh i, I wasn't sure if i was ever gonna be able to make it but i figured you know what i'm halfway up this grand gallery even if i even if i have to crawl the rest of the way i'm gonna do it and um uh, it's a, it's an impressive piece of architecture. Anyway, I, I I entered the there's a double locking system there that is just the most just amazing amazing piece of mechanism I've ever seen in my life. But is it an um, ancient piece of mechanism? Oh well, yeah. They, you know, depending on who you talk to, but yeah, it's it's a stone lock. There's a series of stone locks that 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 would not allow a person to enter the king's cha- so-called king's chamber um so then so they had to break in in modern times you know the egyptians didn't know anything about it. The, the, all they knew it was it was a good source of uh, uh limestone or uh, uh-huh, yeah. rock so they just they destroyed it essentially um and broke the, they had to break their way in they couldn't you know if they built it how come they didn't know how to get into their own monument I, that that's always puzzled me but anyway i go entered the king's chamber there was a tour that had, was already in there, and there was a tour guide, and, and just as I walked in there, he struck the sar- so-called sarcophagus, which is a stone box that has no lid on it, uh, very rectangular shape, and it, um, he hit this thing with a mallet, and it made the most incredible spiraling tone that I've ever heard in my life and um you know before or since that happened i've never heard anything quite like that before because the way the energy of the sound moved around the room in a spiral i just i was again i was in shock because i wasn't expecting it but i listened very carefully what was going on and and for some reason as i was listening to it i completely had a whiteout everything it was like the the you know if you look at the old tv set or you Tune into a station where there is no station. It's all white. Oh yeah, kind of hissy. Yeah, we're the same age.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, well, I mean, you can still do it today, not as well. But anyway, I'm, I'm looking. Up. For some reason, everything went white, and I got a hissing noise in my ears. And the next thing I know, I was standing outside of the pyramid, which I could not understand at all. You know, one second I'm in and I'm out. That doesn't make any sense. And I'm looking around, and to make matters even weirder, there was there were some entities standing near me but they weren't people i mean they weren't clearly they weren't the turks they looked more like the egyptian gods that was that's all i can say i don't i didn't talk to them i looked at them and i thought this is this is crazy Uh, i don't understand it and then the next thing i knew i was coming i was back in the room and the sound was dissipating because he only hit it once and it was as it started to dissipate. It it drew me. I came back into my body, and I'm looking at all the faces of the other people there. And I'm like, I'm looking for their expression. Like, you know, I I wanted to ask them, "Did you see that?" You know, but I I I didn't. I thought better of it. But I was I, I could I could see that they didn't see what I saw. They didn't. None of them were going out of their body. Or if they did, they didn't say anything. And they sure didn't react like they did. So <laughs> I. When, as the people started to file out, I stuck around and I, I tried to talk to this tour guide, who was a um, very tall-looking uh, Egyptian guy. He didn't know what I was talking about. He had no idea. We could, we were not communicating with each other at all. That was just his job. And I think they found that out by accident, actually. That that when you hit it, that it rings like a, a tuning fork. So anyway, oh,
0: I, this is just the sound resonance thing is so interesting, and I and I'm I've heard. Uh, you know, like nobody quite knows what the purpose of the pyramid you know was and, <laughs> or is yeah. or is or was yeah what it's what it but so one of the thoughts is that it um, and I've heard people speculate on this is that the uh initiate, whether that be the pharaoh or the shaman would would enter the king's chamber and if if uh, there's a name for that slab and it's a rectangular slab, and it's got the uh uh what do you call the 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 golden mean, or whatever, the, for the, as far as the shape of the of the rectangle, yeah. Um right. And it's a certain form of crystalline granite that slab, and it the slab has actually been damaged, if I'm not mistaken. I've never yeah, been it's, there. it's It's got melted. a chip out of one end or something. Yeah,
1: it's not a chip, Mike. It's actually been melted. So how do you melt stone?
0: How do you melt? Yeah, with exactly. You know, yeah, it's a pretty
1: tough deal, and they, they, the lid's not in there, and there was really no mummy found there, as far as I know. So it's not a tomb. That's not a tomb. In fact, there's a guy who has – he was down – there's a pit – not a pit. There's a room underneath the pyramid. I think they call it the well. Anyway, um, he was down there, and he heard the through one of the walls down there. He could hear the same thing I heard up in the king's chamber. The sound of that thing ringing, he could actually hear it through one of the walls down there, meaning that there it was a stairway. Or some passage that connected the middle of the pyramid to the room under the pyramid,
0: or the or just the resonance itself in the, no, just the shape I, of I the don't, pyramid. I,
1: we- I, no, no, no. If anything, it would have gone up because there's a there's supposedly it's all solid underneath the king's chamber, and the, but there are relief chambers above the king's chamber that would have allowed the the res and obviously do uh, allow that frequency to pass through the the ceiling. Into a hollow, a series of hollow chambers above it. So it could be that this, thing, that that whole thing is set up to amplify a, like a giant resonating uh, device. You could get the whole. Th- Imagine, I mean, Tesla would have, could have easily done this. He, he had developed a device like that. Um, it was very dangerous, but you know, uh, it was just you could big enough you could hold it in your hand, and it would create a certain frequency. But he says once I remember reading this that, that if you if you attach it to the building, it literally tore the whole building down.
0: Mm-hmm. I've heard because
1: the the, they had, the building wasn't set up for it. I mean, whereas something like the pyramid was clearly designed to focus, like a lens, whatever energy was there uh, and is no longer there, it could have clearly focused that energy and beamed it right out at the top. In my opinion,
0: or the initiate, or the you know the yeah. pharaoh could lay in the, that on that on that rectangular piece of crystalline granite and. Yeah. Um, and been induced simply through this frequency and, and uh, the, the giant uh, technical shape of the pyramid and then been thrust into uh, an outer body experience or into a, into a mystical experience where he could then commune with the gods.
1: That's a lot of work for for that. I'm not sure, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not sure that they would have spent, invested that much resources and labor in, just to making an out-of-body or like an uh, isolation booth or, you know, where you can induce out of body experiences that, um, besides that, you know, look, you got the queen's chamber below it and then you got that other thing down, uh, underneath it. It just, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up. I really think it was a machine of some kind, um, and that it's broken now. And, and um, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but there's a lot of things like that on this planet. We do again, we were, we have been cut off from our true origins, so we're left guessing as to how we got here, what we were like before, uh, all of this other nonsense, uh, all the manipulation.
0: Here, let me just tell a little story here, in this, and this Go is ahead. going to kind of uh, sort of link together a bunch of things here. Um, so there's a – are you familiar with a researcher named Carl Monk? M-U-N-C-K? Yes. Yep. Yep. So Karl Monk, curiously, I've been trying to get a hold of him. I haven't. He lives uh, just. He actually lives in the next town over from me, uh, really? which is about, you know, which is about seventy miles from. Well, not the next town. I mean, the next biggest town uh, for, is Idaho Falls. He's he's lived somewhere around Idaho Falls. I've been trying to get a hold of him, but he um, has written a, a series of books on pyramids, as well as done a really wonderful video on pyramids. And Mm -hmm. he tells a story of having a dream one night in 1982. He, uh, had this dream he felt like he was looking out some sort of a window looking down at the nazca lines which are the lines i think they're in peru that have the imagery of the monkeys and the birds and the in the sort of uh uh, you know as seen from the sky and no one knew that they Mm. were there until a plane flew over these ancient lines so he saw those lines out of a window in his dream and the next morning he got up went to the library and got every book he could on pyramids and from that point on now thirty years ago, yeah, it's two thousand and twelve right now, um, he has been completely obsessed with pyramids and he's been finding uh curious and very interesting correlations between pyramids, between the numbers, between the where they are and positioned on the earth, as well as the pyramids on as the, the those pyramids on Sidonia on Mars seem to, mm-hmm. to correlate to a lot of his findings here. So now this is something he just discovered recently. His granddaughter if I remember this correctly, it's either his daughter or his granddaughter, I'm telling this uh, uh, from memory, uh, was at his house during that event in 1982 when he had the profound dream. And she has only recently, so she waited 30 years to tell him, told him that she woke up in the middle of the night, saw a bright light outside, got up, went to the window, looked outside, and saw her grandfather, Carl Monk, could Hmm. monk, standing with in front of a UFO with some skinny aliens. (laughs) So he finds out about, so here we have uh, this, this fellow who has then been thrust into this cosmic compulsive researching into Mm -hmm. something esoteric. So he has a UFO contact experience. He starts researching pyramids. Um, And the implication is, and I'm just going to, you know, here's, I have been, th- I had a similar uh, sort of compulsive uh, experience that took place in 2009 where I started writing about my own experiences, started putting them online, uh, and then getting, uh, you know, what I spoke about earlier, like, you know, positive results in the sense that people were very grateful and thanking me for the work i was doing Um, Mm -hmm. and then i'll also include you in this where you have been thrust into a i don't want to say thrust but something went down and now you are uh focusing on not only washington dc and ufos but all the other associated uh phenomena and implications of that phenomena uh and I, I just see this as a pattern. There's another fellow. Are you familiar with a, a, an author named Seshari? No. Okay. He's from California. He's uh, he has he had a series of what amount to UFO contact experiences with aliens in his youth, and hmm. in his adult years he began ferociously and very wisely researching ley lines. Mm-hmm. And so here we have, you know, and I just have the sense that there are these people out there planting these seeds, you know, publishing these books, putting things on the Internet that are, uh, that can be used. I mean, all of these things, I feel, are very beneficial to humanity. Uh, mm-hmm. So something is going on. Uh, I, I hate to use the word controlled, but I do feel like what I am doing right now, this this blog this uh audio interviews i do feel and i i know how this sounds i do feel compelled to do it and i don't Mm -hmm. know where that compulsion is coming from i don't know whether it's coming internally from me or whether from an outside source
1: well as i say we're all we're all connected whether we like it or not um the good guys i would say that's they're guiding the bad guys are manipulating and there is a big distinction there but um it's part of the part of the process here. And, um, uh, part of the lesson, like I say, is you've got, you've got your adversaries and then you've got your allies. And as you move through any kind of lesson plan, you know, you got your problems and then you got to solve them and you've got, you got teachers there to, to assist you. Right. But, um, you know, when I was, oh gosh, I was like one and a half or something. I was in a daycare with, uh, um, bunch of other kids and, um, and um somehow i got out i don't think i did that on my own uh because it was totally childproof um but i remember the lady being very that ran the place she was um a very strict german she'd come over from nazi germany so I, i'm not saying she was a nazi but whatever she was she had lived through nazi germany she was in america and uh that would have been, uh, let's see, I was so about 60, 61 at the time, uh, 1961, and uh, I was coming up on two years old. And somehow I managed to get out of the daycare center, and my mother found me about a half mile away walking. At least I was walking in the right direction towards our home. Um, as, but a, as, a, re- as a one-and-a-half-year-old? yeah and um like I said, the facility was set up to keep kids in, otherwise, you know who 's going to bring a kid there if they can all just escape right uh so it, 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 it to my to this day, my mom just can't figure it out, and she asked me how I did it, and i said i don 't know because i don 't know i I suspect I had help though, and the reason they got me out of there because it was it was a harmful situation i didn 't need to experience that, so they intervened uh, on my behalf, and they being um, okay, phase two of the the guy who said he was my father. Uh, I think it was a few weeks later, I had a very lucid dream where I was back at the house where I grew up in Malibu. And um, uh, I'm standing on the driveway. It's a beautiful sunny day. And I'm looking out over the Pacific Ocean. Something catches my attention. I turn around and I see three UFOs. Uh, I believe they were silver in color and they were headed towards the ocean. And, and, and as, they, as they started to go over the ocean, they, they were losing altitude and literally penetrated into the water. And I, I'm watching this with my mouth open. I, I scream I, my, towards the house. I said, because my dad used to work at home as an artist. He had a studio right there near the driveway. And I start yelling at the house going, Dad, 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 come out here. Check out these UFOs. The moment later, the, the UFOs come popping out of the water, going back the same way they just came. Now they're a golden color. And as they pass over the house, suddenly... I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm hoping my dad's going to come out of the studio to come check this out because it's just a fleeting thing. Instead, this same guy who claims he might, was my father appeared in a flash of light. It was like something straight out of Star Trek. He just flashed and there he was. And this time I didn't, I didn't question it. I, didn't, I wasn't in shock. I was actually very glad to see him. And I walked over to him, and I embraced him, and then I woke up. And man, did I wake up! I mean, I was like, "Oh my God, what is going on here?"
0: And what is is that all about? This is a dream you had when?
1: That was still 1985. It was a few weeks after I'd had the, you know, my first what I thought was my first encounter with him. Um, uh, but I really think, like I said, that oh gosh, We're all related, and we do have the, the, the human form is spread out throughout this universe, or universes, and that when we cross over to a non-physical state, we still carry certain attributes that we can relate to as human. In other words, that we have an identity, we have an awareness, we have a family, we have feelings. It's just not atomic. It's not based in this restrictive sense. I mean, it's not. It doesn't have all the same parameters. Like I said, it's sort—it's of, the polar opposite. It's like hot and cold. You know, they're, they're 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 connected on the same frequency range, but but they're separate. They're they're in other words, they're just polar opposites of each other, but they're still connected. And there's a demarcation point. There's at some point, it's no longer cold. It becomes hot. Same with light and dark and anything else you want to talk about. Um, in that regard. And so physical, non-physical, but, and the the point I'm trying to make here is that they do guide us along. And I think it actually accelerates. Once you become aware of the fact that they're guiding and you actually start working with them, things start to um, happen much more quickly and effortlessly as compared to, you know, being, not being aware or willing to do so.
0: Yes. Now now here 's what 's so so in my experience uh, in two thousand and five, I had no knowledge of any of this stuff in my life. I could mm-hmm. tell some funny stories, I could tell little campfire stories and kind of slap my knee and say well isn 't that funny? I had a missing time experience. Who would have thunk uh, you know yeah. and I, I i kind of I had actually been reading uFO books and but I never like went down the road of of exploring that um, i mean i I have a story. In 1992, of looking out a window at night and seeing five gray aliens uh, backlit by a bright light out my window, uh, you know, from my bedroom, um, mm. and my response uh, upon seeing this was to hear a voice in my head that said, uh, "Now is time to put your head on the pillow and shut down." And I don't know whether <laughs> that was my voice or, and that was it was really, no, that, I am that's, not exaggerating. Yes, yeah. exactly the phrase. That's
1: ex- that's how they would say shut down is right because that's what they do they are they' those are not um biological entities those are uh, uh automatons those are creations, those are not living entities
0: and somebody I, built them yeah, and I can't speak to that, but I can definitely say that um that i was okay you're you're actually a good person to just run this by uh, I was in a mindset a a sort of you know i i i just dismissed it completely as a dream because the sensation was was dream dreamlike is one way to describe it but the, but a different mm-hmm. way to describe it would be like there was a hyper clarity there was a there was a heightened sense of quiet there mm-hmm. was a uh uh you know not even just clarity as far as visual like a like a like a thought clarity like there was no random chatter uh i was curiously neutral like i wasn't scared i wasn't blissful i was i was curiously neutral in this stage um there was a distorted sense of time there was a distorted sense of of reality itself in this moment um Mm. and you know those all those things can describe a dream sure but but i've you know i've never had before there's
1: something they call yeah they call it a lucid dream when you let's say you wake up in bed but your, you, you allegedly are dreaming. You wake up and you know where you are. You're very clear about the fact that you are dreaming. That's a that's a level above. That's another level of consciousness. Uh, that because we, we're not dead when we're sleeping. Sure. So so a part of us, as we know from the experiments in remote viewing, and the experiences people. Simply, it's an out of body experience. Um, the more extreme cases of that are called near death experience, but it's all very similar stuff and um it seems that certain aliens uh induce this in us either out of the fear factor or the shock, whatever, or maybe it's technology uh Who can say that for sure yet what's going on there, but it does happen it, there seems to be a common theme in all of that
0: yeah um and and uh to follow this up, you know like uh so here i'm going to share one more little funny thing this is actually this is this was a dream, this was mm-hmm. very much a dream. And, uh, in the dream, I was with my brother and my brother kind of said, Hey, uh, you know, like I, you know, this guy that I work for, he does this government work and he had this thing and you might find this interesting. It's in the garage. He wanted to get rid of it. So now I've got it in the garage. So I say, sure. Hmm. So I walk into the garage and now just once again, this is a dream. And I, and there's yeah. a UFO in his, there's like a flying saucer in his garage. Mm. And he says, yeah, you know, kind of interesting. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And it's yeah, it's interesting, but uh, just be careful because when you get close to it, it distorts reality. So I walked up to this thing, and when I got about four or five feet from it, I experienced that same identical, it was it was palpable. It was that same feeling that I mm-hmm. had when I looked out the window and saw those entities in the yard. Uh, and then I took mm-hmm. a few steps back, and it faded away, and I walked forward so I could totally control it in this dream. Mm-hmm. And I I had a series of dreams over a summer, uh, one after another, sometimes night after night, and I called these reassuring dreams where it just took where I was where I was confronted with something, some part of the UFO lore, uh and, and each one of them that were sort of deflated. They were they were I was I was no longer afraid of them. Um I had another dream about telepathy. I had another dream about uh uh what would be a um uh almost like a virtual reality experience of uh, a nuclear war uh, mm-hmm. and and I was just and I saw that not as a real nuclear war but completely as a projection as a theatrical projection um so I had these dreams one after another where uh they were they were they had a big impact on me because they were so reassuring
1: oh, or these are memories that are resurfacing from other lifetimes
0: well, I mean the thing with my brother in the garage was very uh theatrical and that's and I what my other job is to do I do illustrations uh for uh you know, I do cartoon illustrations for instructionals uh-huh. and and so that that is exactly the way my mind would work, you know. Like how I mm-hmm. would you know like a funny little anecdotal thing like that with my with uh, you know, a funny, you know, broken flying saucer in a garage.
1: Uh sure. But it doesn't mean that it couldn't have happened in another lifetime that you've known about this that you in other words instead of having a veil here now uh sometimes it's it's lifted briefly uh and it has to be for whatever reason in order to help you us move forward Mm -hmm. uh, with the lesson plan you know um in other words okay so if you're in a classroom in order to graduate you have to take multiple tests along the way so yeah classrooms typically you know uh throughout a semester through you, you know, have many tests. Every time you pass one, you move on to the next one, and that's it. Has a, a delineation there, and I think that's life is like that. Um, so you know, and a lot of times you'll review. You have to review the material just to make sure you understand it or got it the first time. Mm-hmm. And that's I, I think that's a lot of what's going on with us. Uh, even though we're highly manipulated here and challenged, uh, I do think that occasionally we're given uh, some clarity on what's going on. Of course, trying to converse about that—it's uh, as—it's always pretty difficult because there's nobody's a greater authority on your life than you are. Uh, it, seriously, it's—it's unfortunate, but you know, in on this world, what we are typically um, trained to do is to always look for somebody to give us the answers, which is kind of cheating if you think about it. But it's, it's part of the human condition here in this world is that we're constantly looking for somebody who's, you know, an authority, supposedly is going to tell us what we need to know. And that's a trap. That's a huge trap. Um, because we, all, we are unique, each one of us. and it, Not only our souls, but the fact that the lesson plan is, is, is um, tailored for each one of us. Uh, individually,
0: Ooh, and, and that is something I have been writing about a lot where the folks I talk to is that these experiences and, and seem like they are tailored. I mean, I'm just speaking for myself, 100% personal here. They feel like yeah. they have been tailored for me and my ability to absorb them. I mm-hmm. feel like if I had been hit now, whatever, this is now t- started 2005, 2006, where this stuff really started to like uh, invade my life. Uh, Mm -hmm. or, or let's say that I made the decision to look into it and, and, uh, and there was, there was profound synchronicities that, that, uh, started to happen in my life as soon as I made the effort of looking into it. Um, and those have continued on to this day. It feels like whoever is shepherding me along this path knows me in a way, and they were kind in the sense that if, if I was hit with everything all at once, I would have just cracked under the pressure. Um, yeah, things came in little pieces, just when I needed them, just challenging enough that I was forced to overcome each hurdle one at a time, and um, and I'm and now I'm at this place where where I'm uh, more at peace with the overall personal set of experiences than i ever have been and it has allowed me to be much more open-minded as i dig into these uh mysterious realities
1: well that's a good thing
0: agreed hey
1: yeah yes
0: oh here i just wanted to say there was a fellow and i'm just gonna um how are you holding up we've been at it for just about two hours now
1: yeah i'm fine i do have to uh uh go here fairly shortly i i Promised my family we're going to do some things this afternoon. Oh,
0: great, no, no problem at all. Um, so here, uh, this has been going great, by the way. I'm, I've, this is Thanks. this has been just great. Uh, this is exactly the avenues I wanted to go down with this this conversation. So, so it's been going great. Um, just one thing. There's a, you interviewed a fellow now. I think it was on May 31st of this year, and it's on your Unicus Radio uh, show. And the fellow is mm-hmm. named James Horak. Right. I thought that was amazing. I thought that was a great. Uh, interview. He was coming from a different uh, point of view, and he also had. Uh, you told the story of of uh, the the fellow in the robe with the beard, who in the glowing light said, "Who's your father?" <laughs> and uh, in his right. very calm way, this guy says, "Well, I have I met that same guy," and uh, right. and I just thought that was so wonderful. I just wanted to compliment you on that uh, interview.
1: Well, thanks. Um, like I've never I had met James prior to that, as far as I know, um, and. Um, He does have a very unique perspective on things, so. uh, But uh, you know, uh, we have some mutual friends, so I was able to contact him, and um, uh, it's you know, it's it's why I do radio because most people don't read, even though I've written quite a lot of material. Uh, I know a lot of people, you know, read on the internet a little bit here and there, but it takes a lot of effort to write a book that's four hundred something pages, and then expect somebody to actually invest however many hours of their life to. To actually go digest all that information, so uh bottom line is it's I find that the radio is probably the best way for me anyways to uh to communicate this kind of information to to a broad audience
0: and 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 I agree where i i have been i sit at my desk and do illustration work, so uh i am Delighted that we live in a technological age where I can, with a few mouse clicks away, can can listen to interviews like the one you did with with uh, James Horak. It's mm-hmm. um, so I can do two things at once. I can get my work done at the mm-hmm. same time. I can absorb this stuff. Uh, hey, here's how has your psychic abilities changed changed in the last? Uh, oh, since in interacting with this stuff,
1: uh, I would say that it's uh, increased. But you know. Um... I look. I was I was raised in a, a kind of unusual situation where my father was a minister at Self Realization Fellowship under Paramahansa. Actually, his name is Paramhansa Yogananda. Uh, it's kind of a tongue twister. Anyway, he he knew something about meditation and um, metaphysics. So growing up, I had access to that kind of material, and it was not considered out of the norm. If anybody has read autobiography of a yogi. Uh, allegedly by Paramahansa Yogananda, uh, with actually quite a bit of help of people editing it after his, after he passed away, but uh, it's an interesting book, and it, it deals in a lot of the, the psychic phenomena and, and uh, metaphysical realm of our existence, uh, so I've always known about this in this lifetime, and I believe I chose the path that I did simply to keep myself, you know, progressing along these lines. Uh, I am certainly not a master at this. I, I, if, I have, if I have to take a classification, I would have to say I'm a mystic in the sense that I seek out knowledge of this through experience. I prefer it. Um, I, I don't mind reading about it, but it's, it doesn't become as um, valuable or uh, impactful until you actually experience these kind of things. You'll never really understand them fully, I don't think, uh, because you know it, it's just designed that way. We were supposed to experience these kind of so-called paranormal um, things to know who we really are to understand our environment and certainly the source of all of this is something that uh like I said it 's available but it 's um it 's prohibited essentially you know it 's uh restricted let 's put it that way we 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 have there are restrictions on our ability to come and go uh at this time and this place we're you know we're <laughs> <clears throat> we're yeah it 's like school you know Class hasn't let out. We haven't graduated. We're still here. But um, yeah, I, I, yes. Go ahead.
0: Oh, good. I mean, I just—I'll just add that I was not raised uh, in that environment, <laughs> and oh, so okay. so confronting this stuff was quite challenging for me because yeah. I had to like, I had to completely turn my back on you know the the definition of reality that I was uh, raised with. And, and, uh, you know, forced to recognize that there's a much richer, more complex, more, uh, mysterious form of reality that, that, uh, all of us are swimming in, um, and some of mm-hmm. us don't see it. Um, so yeah, I suspect there, the, the, um, y- you had a, you had a couple steps further down the path than I did just as far as your ability to integrate this stuff, perhaps. Um, now, he, so do you have a lot of synchronicities in your life?
2: Yeah,
1: we all do. It's just a matter of looking for them or recognize them when they happen. Um, I think the Celestine Prophecy teaches that quite clearly, that the better you get at recognizing the synchronicities, the the more uh, easily that things click into place Mm -hmm. for for your own personal lesson plan that is, you know? Yes, Um, I
0: I read that book. I thought it was a little bit… Corny, but I thought that the the truths sure. that it was that it was you know uh, you know in the fictional format it was it was you know sharing these truths which I thought thought were quite uh, universal and in uh, so mm. yeah so I do I whatever I can recommend that book in a way but um I remember at the time kind of kind of uh, you know thinking it was a little bit uh, cheesy but that so yeah so good, good that's <laughs> and I, I agree what what has happened to me is um is and I'm just repeating myself here as soon as I looked into these experiences um, I was just the The synchronicities were were coming so fast and so furious it almost unhinged me uh, two thousand and nine was a was a rough year for me uh just because I was dealing with so much going on mm-hmm. um, hey here's an, this is any have you had any experiences with uh, oh like animals like curious animal sightings or or and i'm just i've had experiences with owls that I find very interesting mm.
1: yeah um I, I do, but it's not – I don't think it's really paranormal. I think that because they are conscious living entities, too, that it shouldn't surprise us when we, we have communion with um, other life forms. In fact, I think it's really natural. I, I, uh, I agree. I think th-
0: we've separated ourselves from the yeah, wilderness so much.
1: Yeah. Well, once we broke down or somebody decided that, that they had to eradicate the tribal way of living – uh, then well, the, the, the new way is, is supposedly we believe that we're superior and that mainly because of our technology, which I think is laughable, but, you know, whatever, if you want to believe that, that's your choice. Um, but, yeah, everything has a, a level of, well, I should say everything, most everything, all living things have some degree of, of consciousness in them that we can connect to. And once we do that, then, you know, some very interesting things will happen.
0: Yes. Okay. That's a nice way to put it. Yeah. And (laughs) and I feel like what's one of the things that happened once I started looking into this is that I just saw owls everywhere. I live in a place with a lot of owls. Um, but even by, um, you know, the standards I've been with people and, uh, they look at me, you know, all of a sudden we're like owls are circling all around us and they're looking at me like, like oh, you know, he's doing it again.
1: Yeah, because so- they, they can see us. Their senses are not our senses, okay? Well, we know that dogs have greater hearing and, and smell, right? Uh, senses. So they can see things and hear things that we can't. Um, but so, you know, you got to think about it. What do we look like to them? I think depending on our level of awareness, so you know, we can look like all kinds of things. And the same thing is true for any other life form, you know. We we all have some common ground, but I, like I said, you know, certain things identify us. Like I said the guy that was radiant, you know, wow. gee I imagine uh, like Francis of Assisi, uh, all the birds and animals, they seemed to flock to him because they they could see something or feel something coming from him that they knew was non-threatening.
0: Yes. Yes. Oh, that's a great way. That's actually I've never that's a, that's a beautiful way to put it. Good. Um, yeah, I feel like this has gone great. Um, is there anything you want to add here as we wind this down? Well,
1: I just would like to thank you for having me on and uh, chatting about these, these matters. I think this is appropriate that on Father's Day that we would speak about my Father in heaven or wherever he may be. Uh, I think about him often and, I, uh, and fondly. And I appreciate what he's done for me. I I love my biological father as well. But, you know, um, when you really get the depths of a dilemma, like I was at that point in my life, to have somebody um, lift you up and give you comfort and support and protection, that's huge. Um, You know, and um, it just to know that he's there. Yeah, I don't I don't have to see him or call him up every day. I just know that he's there and he's watching. That's it's it's very comforting. It's also given me help to empower me. Uh so I I would encourage people to um try and make that connection if possible to our extended family. Um and uh because I happen to know that they're there, you know, I've been fortunate in that regard. I know from experience that they do exist. And I think at some point we're all going to have that opportunity, whether, you know, it's welcome or not. We're going to um, have to reintegrate ourselves into the, to the greater community the, at large. That's, that's something I just think is inevitable.
0: Um, oh, that's so interesting that you say that. Now, you don't know this, but, um, and I, this is, I don't want to get too personal here. My father died uh, two weeks ago.
1: Oh, and, I'm sorry.
0: So, oh, it was, in. and just in, uh, he was 85, and the last year or so of his life was really challenging. He was dealing with issues, health issues that were, you know, hard on him, and he was not happy the last year of his life. And mm-hmm. then uh, just about three weeks before his death, he had a stroke. And that mm. was what, you know, eventually um, led to his, his passing, was the complications from that stroke. And he was, so for the last three weeks of his life, he was you know, he couldn't use his hands, he couldn't speak, he, he, uh, had no, there was no way for him to effectively communicate. Um, mm. so, so, you know, my brother, sister and I, you know, were all, you know, relieved when, when he actually passed, we knew it was coming mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we had very candid conversations among us. And so, uh, his passing for us wasn't sad. Uh, what did come from it is though my brother, sister and I all sat down and, and uh, sort of shared stories before the actual funeral and my dad uh you know he was interesting. I was very much the young artist in the family and and uh and so that was a little bit of an anomaly you know I was drawing a lot I was very much into you know doing creative stuff I had a lot of anxious energy as a boy and so um you know my dad was wasn't he you know, didn't really relate to that Directly, so so we never bonded the same way that he did with my brother. We mm-hmm. had a much closer relationship with him, but he did. Um, he was a, a wonderful role model in the sense that he would um, selflessly go out of his way uh, to help others. Uh, you know, we all told stories. There was a when I was growing up as a boy, um, I just remember there was a, another boy in my neighborhood. Uh, who was dying of leukemia. And this would have been in the mid-70s. I would have been about 12 or maybe 14. Um, And my father, uh, the boy's father, couldn't handle it and just sort of disappeared. Uh, He succumbed to alcoholism and no one ever saw him again. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, And so the boy was fatherless. And my dad uh, would go on long walks with him and i just would see him walking around the neighborhood and this is you know classic suburbia in michigan but mm-hmm. so i would just catch glimpses of my father and this boy named gary like walking around the neighborhood and um, my dad never mentioned it never said he was doing it never i don't know who initiated it whether gary sought my father out or whether my father sought gary out but uh uh you know gary died within months of that so uh, mm. that was uh a really beautiful life lesson for me. You know, he was role modeling something that, uh, I, I recognize has been integrated into me very much. So, so, um, you know, I, I, my brother, sister and I, you know, shared a bunch of stories that were very much like that. Um, you know, and we, uh, so, uh, yeah, Mike, so it is interesting that we're doing this on father's day. Yeah.
1: Mike, uh, this is a good way to close it out. Um, What your father did ensured that he would go back to heaven. My understanding is the reason I was able to leave this world temporarily and meet with my father in the light is because I was assisting that boy.
2: You see,
1: it's when we, it's when the thought and the deed determines our direction. So when we do these kind of acts, that's the key. That's the key that gives us access back to the source, to heaven. And it's, it has nothing to do with fame or fortune or books or any, you know, power. It's that simple, Mike. It's really that simple. And um, <laughs> they must be watching over us right now.
0: Yeah, this is this is lovely. Um well good. I have enjoyed this immensely. I I uh you know, I recognize the 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 you know, the overall pattern that you and I are both uh connected to and um it is not easy. This is challenging work that um that uh that you and I are doing. I feel like I have to dig deep in order to uh do these podcasts um, you know in and to do some of the written work that I've done and I, and I recognize that it is important um, to mm-hmm. share this stuff you know I'm going out on a limb uh, you know the social stigma the the uh, and then just I would also say just the not knowing like I don't have a hundred percent true understanding of what I'm interacting with. But all I can do is proceed forward and say that, that there is a profound something that, uh, that I'm interacting with and that um, that needs to be shared.
1: Mm -hmm. I agree. And please keep up the good work.
0: Great. Thank you so much. Hi there. This is Mike. I am chiming in during the editing process. Uh, Robert and I are just about to say goodbye uh, you can hear it coming up here in a second where we'll we 'll say our goodbyes, but uh, we do hold on to the conversation for just a few minutes longer, and um, this was stuff that was I was originally going to snip out. But I kept it in. Uh, it felt important to include it. What I did do is edit it down a little bit. You might hear a little snip or two here and there uh, where we're talking about some personal stuff. But I, I wanted to share something. I We spoke about a fellow named Jerry Wills. I will also include an audio interview that Robert did with Jerry. Uh, uh, Jerry, oh my gosh. Okay, Jerry is a uh, healer. He does healing sessions of, over the phone and uh, his story is profoundly interesting. He says in no uncertain terms that he is, in fact, an alien, that he was somehow left here and his parents adopted him. Uh, now, that is obviously a very bold statement. I yeah, there's no Right now in this format, I'm not going to attempt to address that. Uh, what I will say is that I spoke to Jerry on the phone yesterday, and I was really impressed. He seems like a very lovely, caring guy. And I am going to go ahead and proceed with the healing session. Uh, We talk about that a little bit in in this little final summation. Okay, uh, back to the interview. Um hey before we say goodbye um I mm-hmm. just wanted to say that I um I just uh spoke with Jerry Wills yesterday. Oh,
1: <laughs> So did I. That's interesting.
0: Oh good. Oh good. And and I just I, I put a uh, um a uh I'm going to be doing a session with him sometime hopefully within the next few weeks mm-hmm. and um just dealing with issues that I feel are connected with this that have been uh you know holding me back I think.
1: He's gone through a lot. He's a wonderful friend and he's a great healer uh but man I wouldn't trade places with him for anything. He's, <laughs> it must've been a huge, huge decision for him prior to, uh, coming here. I know he was just an infant, but still, but, uh, it's, it's tough duty in here. <laughs> it's really tough, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I the issues that I'm dealing with are depression and it comes and goes. And, and, and I realize now that there's, you know, if this has been going on as long as I think it's been going on in my life, this, uh, you know, I've been dealing with depression on and off since I was 12 or so. And that seems to be right about when my first memory of this missing time event happened. Yeah, it's um, post-traumatic
1: stress, Mike. It's um, the battlefield that we are on, the first casualty is truth. And um, so living a lie is very depressing.
0: And that is almost exactly what I talked with him with Jerry about yesterday. Is just the fact that I feel like my identity is like I can't yep. fully live to ma- match my identity.
1: That's and, a sin, Mike. That's that is that. In my opinion, that really is sin.
0: Yes, and and if I look at the timeline of the last few years, you know, like I feel like I'm inching forward, inching forward, inching forward, and and uh, you know something, you know, some rubber band needs to snap.
2: Like, to <laughs>
1: Well, I'm sh- you know what? I'm sure you're going to, you'll do fine. You're going to make it, and uh, you'll come out stronger in the process. Oh, my goodness. Hey, I'll let you go. Uh, I-, I had a great time speaking with you, and uh, I hope that uh, we've helped some people in the process.
0: Good. And, um, yeah, and, and uh, it was wonderful talking to you. I'm glad we finally connected.
1: Thanks, Mike. We'll stay in touch, and uh, God bless you. Okay, bye now. See you
2: later.
0: Hi, this is Mike again. I'm chiming in here at The Summation. Uh, Wow, I just re-listened to some big chunks of that interview. Uh, I feel like I pulled a really vulnerable place deep inside of me, up to the surface. Uh, I will say that came very much from Robert's prodding and Robert's very open style uh, just his just his persona just just brought that out of me uh, near the end there i 'm going to repeat something here. I wrote it down i, I, I said i i can 't fully live to match my identity and Robert jumped in very forcefully and he said that is a sin Mike uh, that uh, that is a very powerful thing to arise out of a conversation that uh, one might just assume was about little dots in the sky and curious uFO phenomena uh, This was a strong interview for me, really beneficial for me personally. Uh, I got a lot out of this interview, and I hope anyone who has made it this far got um, even just a fraction of what I got out of it. Thank you so much. Bye now.